0: in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie dot com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to CollinsLastStand.com. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 80. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Chris. His ass is going to Iran. Raygun. Chris, (laughs) how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. 80. Jesus. Yeah, it's episode 80. That's almost almost disgusting. It is. It's actually gross. I don't like it at all. But here we are. 80 is about the maximum age that I'll probably reach in my life <laughs> I already feel like I'm 95 so I'm I'm on borrowed time actually yeah as we move forward uh Chris how are you how does uh, everything find you are you a little you're, you might get drafted are you a little scared going nah. to, going over to the Middle East
2: Nah, I I if I am drafted I'm sure I will disappoint very very quickly
1: yeah I have no doubt about that now I was making a little joke on the internet about how oh I you know I, I made a little always sunny in Philadelphia joke on Twitter about getting drafted and how Frank or Mantis Toboggan M.D. comes in, tells me that I have AIDS and <laughs> therefore I don't have to go over. But then a lot of people are, you know, very quick to remind me, Colin, you are well out of the draft age. And that's true. So I can now sit behind my computer and say whatever I want and be as hawkish as I want and all that. I'm not going to go fight. Yeah. So what do I care? What's, the, what's the
2: draft age?
1: I think you have to be part of selective service from 18 to 26 right and i thought that the draft i could be wrong about this i did study american history in college so i probably should know this but i thought that the draft age in world war ii like went all the way up to like the early to mid 30s but i don't know if the war was bad enough I, you wouldn't have to draft me but very similar to chris uh, i don't think that i would probably find myself on the battlefield let's let's put it that way yeah i so. might i might like
2: cook wings oh sometimes that that might be yeah. like where oh, you're the cook i'm like all right yeah that'd that be great,
1: Mike. My grandpa on my Italian side was uh, a, the cook for his platoon or whatever in World War II and China and India and stuff like that. So it is a necessary part of combat. Uh, I don't think he got to take on the enemy, unfortunately. Or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. This is the first episode of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast of the new year. So very happy new year. Nick Vitimo wrote into us on Patreon, actually said, hey, cuties. Don't have a question, but just wanted to say, I hope you all have a successful and peaceful new year in 2020. Well, we wish the very same for all of you, Chris. Are you enjoying your new year so far?
2: Uh, It's it's another one. Oh, it sure is. It's another it's another year. It does feel like one of those uh, tw- like the 20s seems like a strange time period to actually exist in because it, it seems, does. It seems so old. You know, no, <laughs> People are- it,
1: I mean, it is. I mean, we talked about we talk about the 20s and the 30s and thinking about the ni- 1900s, obviously, or even further back if you're a real, really old and really nerdy. But when we you know, if we have kids or our generation has kids, then they'll look back at the 20s and they'll be talking about now. Yeah. Which is really not OK. That's actually gross. Come to think of it. Yeah. That's the gross part about it. It's really off putting. Yeah, I don't like it at all. Well, welcome one. Welcome all. We've missed you. Of course, our show hasn't stopped. We've been putting up shows every week. We did our game of the year episode and all of that. Uh, But this is the first time Chris and I are recording because we did backfill a little bit. So it's good for me to hear Chris's voice again. I didn't know if he had survived into this tumultuous 2020 year, but here he is. (laughs) He's ready to go. Remember, of course, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash CollinsLaststand, or just go to CollinsLastStand.com for more information on how to get early access to our show. Uh, you can buy merchandise, subscribe to our other shows, and of course, get access to Sacred Symbols Plus as well, which is our supplemental weekly podcast only for CLS patrons. Uh, we did one recently on the best moments of 2019. We did one on 2020 predictions. We uh, are going to do... I, ha- I have it here written. It's totally wrong in the, in the document. I don't know why I put game of the year. We're doing... Instead, this coming week, we're going to do something on our backlogs, like how we catalog our backlogs and what it means to us to have a backlog and what games we want to carve through. I think it'll be a lot of fun. And we will, of course, uh, solicit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas from the audience. Of course, you can submit those to our regular show as well, and we'll have plenty of those to work in as well. Of course, if you are just tuning in for the first time or it's been a while, we did announce our PS4 and Vita game that's coming out in the coming months called Twin Breaker, a Sacred Symbols Adventure. It is a break, a brick breaker, a break breaker. Uh, a brick breaker with uh, a little bit of a story. It's a nice, fun and accessible game. We're really excited to show you more. We'll have more on that soon, including information on physical releases for both PS4 and for Vita and hopefully a release date soon as well. I'm really the hold up on that because I have to finish the story. But I've just been a little busy yeah. uh, moving across the country. Yeah, it's a big uh, it's a big change. It is. It is. Are you, you're, are you back in California now? Or are you still in New York? I'm uh, I'm still in New York. I'm here till the 11th. So you have a little bit of time left with the family. Yeah, I got a little bit of time. Did you have the uh, promised uh, Puerto Rican meal? Oh you, yeah. Or meals? In- insane. yeah, insane. Insane. I think
2: I might have gained weight for a little bit and then like the next day it was gone. But like, I think I, I actually like,
1: you know, I gained for a second there. Well, you really are a svelte young man. And I don't know where the the food goes in you, but I told you to really enjoy it while you can, because before you know, it, you're going to look like a fucking pear like I do. I can't wait. And then. You- oh, God, I, I can- actually can't wait either. We're going to roll you around like, uh, well, who is it? Violet Beauregard. <laughs> and Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory will paint your face blue. I haven't thought about that movie in like a decade. Oh, it's so good. That movie is one of my favorite movies. It's like an eminently watchable movie. I'll watch that movie over and over again. And I don't even like candy or chocolate. You know, that so. scene in the boat is like improvised or like it's not improvised, but it's like the, the cast didn't know that that was going to happen. I think I remember. I think I remember reading that. That makes a lot of sense because they do look truly horrified, <laughs> particular Mrs. TV. She didn't look like she was really enjoying it very much. Yeah, uh, at all. Chris, I also have to say we're thinking about our Australian friends. Yeah, there's a fires ravaging the continent of Australia. We have thousands of listeners in Australia. And so we want to just let you know that we're thinking about you. Of course, people can go. I don't want to like I always feel weird, like calling out specific charities because then I feel like I'm leaving others out typically. But there are, I think, a few different ways you can meaningfully give uh, money and resources to help what's going on down there. Obviously, we've had fires in California recently and all of that, but these are exponentially worse and I've been seeing a lot of very valid feedback from people being like well we we heard about when the Notre Dame was burning down because of a flicked cigarette apparently and we obviously all the California fires and all that but we're this is so much worse and so we're just keeping everyone in our minds and if you can give a few bucks please do because I'm sure every little bit helps and we both have Australian friends so it's uh it's tough it's very tough to watch that shit is honestly like the most insane thing I think I've ever seen Like just the
2: sheer amount of acreage that is burning over there is like wild. And how much of it is genuinely part of like civilization. It's not like, you know, it's not just a random, it's not like a mountain with like, like a, like a
1: bird in it, you know, it's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, no, it is. It's horrifying. I mean, I was looking at a map. I didn't realize, I think maybe I'm wrong about this, but it. Obviously, everyone knows that in the middle of Australia, no one lives in the middle of Australia, but it's obviously going around the coast, even all the way around, I think to Perth, which Mm -hmm. is on the western side of the country. So, yeah, it's really, really scary, really unfortunate. And a lot of wildlife is dying and stuff. And we I feel a little bad because we always make fun of the wildlife in Australia and how horrifying it is and how we should nuke the middle of Australia (laughs) and stuff. And now now all of the wildlife, is you know, it's kind of you see all these pictures of these koala bears and yeah kangaroos and stuff and yeah, it's very sad so we're keeping you guys in our thoughts but you
2: know it's equally horrifying what's equally horrifying now though is that the center of australia is the only place that's safe
1: well that's a good point horrifying that's a really good that's point. even yeah, scarier that's, whew, we're getting to a real mad max situation uh yeah. now which uh so god net you really i don't like that what you just said <laughs> to me i don't like that at all uh king Keeper wrote into us chris on patreon he says hello sacred siblings oh we've never had that one before i like yeah, that one. that's good he says New Year's resolutions. You got one? I don't have a New Year's resolution this year cuz I never follow them anywhere. Anyway, Chris, do you have a New Year's resolution? No, I don't year?
2: believe I don't believe in that shit to be quite frank. You told me
1: that I think you told me that last year.
2: Yeah, I just can't. It's like you know, I have been meaning to go to the gym for like 6 years now. You know. So,
1: you were going a lot when we first started doing the show, but you just kind of fell off. I
0: just
2: kept flying
1: bit. everywhere and then I was like, Ugh, "Yeah, who wants to go to the gym?" You know. It's
2: like if I if you're going to fly places and then like you're going to start off on your like little gym thing and then
1: you fly out and you come back and then you're like, oh, I got to get back on this schedule. It's like, ah, maybe not. Yeah, it's, it's not good. I, I mean, if, if the choice is, Colin, you'll die of a traumatic heart attack at 70 or you'll live till 85 and you went to the gym. I'd rather just die at 70. I'm just yeah. going
2: to be honest with you. I, I'll probably go to the gym a lot more this year just because I, I don't plan on really flying. I, I, I hope to my New Year's resolution is this. I don't want to fly anywhere this year. 2020 is the year that I just
1: stay. I stay where I am. 2020 is the year of sedentary Chris. Yes. I like that. Uh, flying's the worst. I mean, that's why I left. You know, one of the big reasons I wanted to leave IGN was back in the day. I mean, it was a long time ago now was I just couldn't stand going places anymore? It was just fucking driving me insane. Did it you was have, driving me nuts? Did you have pre-check? Uh, no, I didn't because oh, that would Jesus. require me to talk to the uh, State Department and oh, yeah. I don't want them to know anything about me. So... <laughs> <laughs> You know, I come from a family like where my dad wraps his easy pass in aluminum foil so that the government can't track him. So you think I'm going to go talk to the state department? Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah,
2: I didn't. Yeah, I didn't realize that bit of lore.
1: Yeah, that little bit of Jerry Moriarty lore. Yeah, he sometimes because he goes in and out of New York City all the time and has for you know he was a fireman in New York City until he retired. But he would sometimes skip doing like using the easy pass on every other toll so that the government couldn't track his movement which I loved. I mean, my dad's the fucking hysterical. I love that stuff. It's hysterical, especially because he's dead serious. That's the best part. About yeah, it. dead serious. <laughs> King Kiefer, though, did say, I think Colin should get a ninja foodie. I think that's like a blender. He said <laughs> you can cook almost everything in there, maybe bring back down that cholesterol by steaming some broccoli. My good friend, King, shut up. Chris, he says yours is easy. Obviously, a tattoo of Colin to express your undying love for the old man that introduced you to my ear holes. The question in that remains, where do you get it? I'll take my comments off the air. Please do. Chris, where will you get your Colin tattoo? I'll get it on the back of my head. So when I inevitably go bald at
2: age 55, I can, uh, <laughs> people will be forced to look. at it. I have a photorealistic tattoo of your face staring directly facing the, directly facing behind me on the back of my I head. I love it. It'll be like a Voldemort situation from the first Harry Potter movie. Yes. Where he takes the turban off and he's, uh, Voldemort has moved into
1: this guy's scalp for some reason. It also reminds me a little bit of the never ending story, you know, that enemy that has like the different card faces that spin. Oh, yeah. Have you seen that? Have you seen? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know Uh, that were that the way you've described that makes me think of
2: uh, the the Nightmare Before Christmas mayor guy.
1: Yeah. Whose head. Yeah, that as well. It's not good. I don't want to talk about that anymore. (laughs) Chris, we do have something interesting to talk about, though, here. Liam McNulty wrote in to us about this. and I feel like ignoring this would be so fake. Uh, because right. so many people have wrote written into us about this, not only on Patreon, but just generally. And uh, we are anything but fake. We're dumb, but we're not fake. So uh, Liam McNulty, I want to I want to field your question and comment here that a lot of people have been asking. He says, hey, guys, my comment is aimed at Colin. Of course, we'll get Chris's feedback on this as well. He says, how do you feel that PSI love you. XO XO is coming back. I know you don't really like to talk about what happened with kind of funny. You've been the bigger, more mature person throughout. I don't I don't know about that. But does this bother you at all? This fact that they didn't even tweak the name. Did any of them reach out to you uh, about doing this? It just seems disrespectful to me and others. And happy new year, new year to you and Chris. Well, thank you, Liam, for your question. And again, I was kind of playing around with not talking about this, but I just felt like that would be so conspicuous to not say anything about it. Right. So, uh, yeah, let's field this question. I don't know that it really matters to us. I mean, PSI love you XOXO for people that don't know is my old. I've been on three PlayStation podcasts now. Uh, three big, the three biggest PlayStation podcasts ever made. So I guess I'm the common theme between all of them. But podcast beyond, and then PS I Love You, and now uh, Sacred Symbols, and this show is coming back under my old company's banner. Uh, kind of funny with a new host and all this, and a lot of people were really pretty incensed about this, which I was, I guess, surprised about, but also not that surprised about because people, you know, get upset and they get they they take things personally and they have you know a a, a horse in the race or whatever the case might be, and I appreciate and respect all of that. But no, it doesn't really bother me. I I don't really understand why you'd keep the name, because I feel like you're just inviting a lot of drama onto yourself, because right. there's no problem with doing a PlayStation podcast. I mean, we're doing a PlayStation podcast right now, but yeah, doing it under the old moniker is probably just going to cause a lot of confusion and consternation. And so that's probably the probably the most confusing part about it. Uh, doing a PlayStation podcast isn't that confusing because there's many of them and I can say with confidence and I think some people might take this the wrong way, but I I believe in my products and I believe that will prove to you that our show is still going to be the best. And, you know, I think our show is also a little bit different than the shows I used to do, because first of all, we have Chris. And so that just brings a a younger and a more comedic vibe to our show. And I'd like to describe our show as being something that's kind of a mixture of something informative, but also comedic. I think our show is a comedy show, too. And I don't really think you can necessarily say that first and foremost about the other shows I've been on. And I think I'm a good judge of that because I was on those shows. Uh, So (laughs) this show just has a totally different tenor to those shows, which is why I think there's probably room for everyone. But ultimately, the market will speak about that. Um, So, no, it doesn't really bother me. Uh, But did they did anyone ask me about doing it? No, no one asked me about doing it. But that's fine, too. I don't own the intellectual property. That's not my PS. I love you is not my property. It's ironic, though, because I don't think I ever said this on the show. Chris knows. Is that when I talked about reaching out to Greg, my old co-host a couple of years ago, I reached out to talk to him and he didn't want to talk to me. The major driver of that was that I wanted to talk to him about me, me, uh, that. I want I was going to do another PlayStation show and not get his permission, but at least just let him know that it was going to happen just so he wasn't blindsided by it. Right. Um, and he didn't want to talk about that, which is fine. I mean, he's that's totally up to him. But then uh, we did the show anyway, and, and I'm, I'm perfectly happy with our show. So. I understand that some people are upset about this. You guys have to feel the way you want to feel about it and go about your business. But our show continues unimpeded and unabated, and uh, the product will speak for itself one way or the other. So we appreciate you guys sticking with us and all of that. But I did want to talk about it and bring it up because I know a lot of people were curious about that. And, And again, it just felt really disingenuous and wrong to just pretend that no one asked about it because... Lots of people did. So, yeah. uh, Chris,
2: do you have any, any input? I mean, this is definitely more your... Like, I, I pretty much know next to nothing about anything that happened previously other than like what you've told me. Like, I never really followed the online drama or whatever you want to call it, really. So, to me, it's just like, yeah, okay, that's that's fine. I, I, w- I would agree that keeping the name is... I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but it is kind of one of those things that you kind of... Like, when you do that kind of thing, you have to understand... The risk associated with that, it's like, its imagine if you brought back, like, I don't know, whose line is it anyway? And none of the original cast is there, and you're just like, what is, you know? What is <laughs> right, it? It's you, not quite the same, because they still have some of the people. But, right, you know, I I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think uh, ours is the only show that really has willed games into existence. so
1: That's true. <laughs> That's true. We have the most dyslexia on our show, we have the most poop talk on our show you can't be all the rest no I, I think we're unbeatable there but yeah I mean yeah I agree with you just on the name part just because I feel like like when I started or when we started sacred symbols no one really cared that it was you and I doing the show no one brought up like well what about Greg or whatever because it was just a different product yeah so that's that's the only confusing thing about it is just that why would you invite all this on I mean it's inevitable right so For sure yeah that's the weird part. But, you know, I wish them the best and uh, the market will speak. But yeah, we really believe in our show and we appreciate the competition and we will continue to do what we do. And I think we'll continue to do it the best. So yeah. uh, you guys will uh, be the judge of that in the end. And if and if we don't do it the best and you guys just want to stop listening to our show and stop supporting us, then we'll just go be hermits in the woods somewhere. There's nothing I can do about that. Yeah, I'll find a nice little mountain shack. Oh, I, I, that sounds really great. There's a the trains coming. Can you hear it through the uh, mic? Oh, the yes, train's i train's coming through. Oh, it's Never stops. Never, (laughs) ever stops coming here. All right, Chris, let's move on. Alex Gidley wrote into us. We have a few corrections to get through. He said, good morrow, my favorite guys. And he wrote favorite with a U, which is also unsettling. Don't like that. Uh, He says, just a small correction from episode 78, we were talking a little bit about the Tudors, which I'm still watching. He says, Henry, Henry VIII, was actually skinny and reportedly very attractive when he was courting Anne Boleyn. He only became fat after a jousting injury he sustained in January of 1536. Boleyn was executed in May of the same year. So in the part of the Tudors Colin was talking about, Henry would have been skinny and not a complete lard bucket. Well, fair enough. But I still, you know, I can't help but when I watch these older shows, I'm like, what does everyone smell like? That's what I always think about. Oh, yeah. What do these people smell like? I think about that, too. Yeah,
2: like it's got to be really rank, huh? Yeah, I I bet. I mean, it's gross. Because everyone looks dirty, like even the clean people.
1: That's exactly right. And I I think I could be wrong about this because I'm definitely not an historian going back to European history or whatever. But I feel like people also didn't take bats almost ever. I feel like I, I think that they thought it was bad for you. I know that they took like Rose water and put it on them and stuff like that to i guess make themselves smell better but i i just can't help but think about that when i'm like wow these like these two these two uh surfs are making out i'm like oh my god the fuck is going on yeah. <laughs> i don't want to see that
2: no they should have smell-o-vision for that stuff
1: i know well, be careful what you ask for no Michael Harrison wrote in us and said, hey, CNC, long time listener, second time writing in small correction. In the past 79 episodes, you say that Sacred Symbols drops on Fridays for you freeloaders out there. Just wanted to point out, I am not a freeloader and I still receive the podcast on Fridays. May I suggest something along the lines of f- for you freeloaders and cheap skates out there? That's not a bad idea. Yeah. All kidding aside, this actually did confuse me a bit when I signed up on Patreon. But to be fair, it's because I apparently can't read. Love the pod. Keep Tuesdays great. <laughs> Uh, yeah, fair enough, because you can support us on Patreon and still not get the show early depending on the level you're at. So that's fair enough. You're not all freeloaders. Some of you are freeloaders. You're scallywags. Let's call it, I'm going to call you all scallywags. Yeah, that's a good one.
2: That's not used yeah.
1: uh, too often. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep it. Sca- we'll keep it appropriately middle middle aged and we'll call it middle ages, not middle aged. Wrong word. And uh, we'll we'll keep it there. Ben wrote in and said, Colin, shuttle Tiderium was the Lambda class model T4A shuttle stolen by Neenum. I already hate this comment and used by Han and his strike team to infiltrate Endor's forest Moon, not the Emperor's shuttle. As you stated last episode, Tidarium's code clearance is an older code, but still checks out. Unlike your knowledge of Star Wars, you goddamn nerd. You're a nerd. Wow. (laughs) You're the nerd in this situation. I know, Ben. I think you got to look in the fucking mirror. (laughs) Nerd. We just uh, we just abuse. (laughs) We're just abusing these people. I know our show just grows and grow. I think we must have there must be like people just like are gluttons for punishment. that listen to this show. Yeah, because <laughs> as the show grows and as our Patreon support grows, we're just meaner and meaner. So yeah. we'll just keep it going. Uh, Nolan Stokesbury wrote into us and said, hey, my dudes, update on my apartment fire. So we'll remember, I think it was episode 78 ish mm-hmm. that we t- we heard from Nolan about how his apartment burned down and he lost everything. And we asked if it was his fault. That was like the biggest question I had was, what is it his fault? And he says, no, it was not my fault. I had not been home for a few days and randomly received a phone call that my electric stove in the apartment had somehow malfunctioned. And he puts that in quotes and caught the entire kitchen on fire. I live in a newer 21 story apartment building. And once the fire was ablaze and the sprinklers came on in my unit and put the fire out. So luckily no other units were affected. But mine was completely burnt to a crisp and soaking wet. I had renter's insurance and I'm glad I did because I'd be straight screwed right now. Anyways, no, I did not have my Vita on a keychain, but I wish I don't remember saying that, but I wish I did because it was on my counter in the kitchen and no, uh, and no lie. All that was left on it was ashes, but no worries. My uncharted golden abyss saves were backed up to the cloud. Hope you guys had a good holiday and thanks for never missing a week. You're very welcome. I'm sorry to hear that, Nolan. Well, I'm, I'm actually really glad to hear it wasn't your fault because then that would have actually been way worse for you. Yeah, but uh, nonetheless, it's really terrible. I know that a lot of people also want to hear more uh, part four. I think it would be of the story about the guy who shit himself on the date. He can write in at any time he wants and let and fill us in, because, of course, the most intriguing part of that was that the woman slept with him
0: yeah, later on. Like it actually so, worked
1: somehow. Yeah. So, I mean, God help us. Hey, if it could if it can work for him, it can work for any of us. I might go ship myself on a date sometime. <laughs> Brandon Hardman wrote into us and he says, is honey a condiment? Chris, I guess. Is syrup a condiment? I don't know. I guess it would be. It's, it's on more the of table. a sauce,
2: isn't it? It's more of a yeah.
1: sauce. But isn't also like you can get like the Heinz chili sauce in a bottle. Is that a condiment or is that a, I don't know. I don't, this is a really. Is it a condiment just because
2: it comes in a bottle? I don't think so. Is that so. what determines that? Can't that? Be. that
1: can't be it. That can't be. No, because then like shampoo would be a condiment. Yeah. Condiment right? is such a disgusting word, by the way. I hate it. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it. I'm not a fan of it. I'm also not a fan of how some people misspell it as, like, condom. And then, you know, there's a lot of illiterate people out there, if you haven't noticed. Yeah. On social media and stuff like that. Got to learn how to spell. Everyone's got to learn how to spell their words. Uh, But is honey a condiment? I don't know. Remains to be seen. I'm not a huge honey fan. Do you like honey? Not really. I thought I did because I liked Honey Nut Cheerios
2: growing up, you know, and I would like have and I knew what normal Cheerios tasted like because my grandma would always have the 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 what is it? The default Cheerios that tasted like kind of cardboard. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and so I was like, oh, honey nut Cheerios taste way better. So this is this must be what honey tastes like. But then you taste honey, and it's like, it's not what it, it's not what it tastes like at all. It just tastes like yeah, like bitter. Uh, how do you know? Like like it tastes like how I imagine Flex Seal would
1: taste. <laughs> you know, just yeah. bizarre. It probably has the same function as Flex Seal too. You can put the little the screen door on the bottom of your boat love that <laughs> yeah i set love that little the, thing they do set out to the seven seas and your i love uh, that and your flex seal airboat those guys are so fun with their flex seal phil swift is insane that and that man is like uh on another level he has a lot of passion for the the various products he uh, hawks yeah which i uh definitely. i respect i respect that yeah definitely Matt said wrote into us and said, hey, guys, my wife and I recently started to watch or rewatch. I'm sorry, Seinfeld. During an episode, I started to think about sacred symbols. Then I realized something. The first 20 plus minutes of every episode of sacred symbols and every episode of Seinfeld share a common thing, a show about nothing. Uh, (laughs) Keep up the great work. I agree. I mean, Chris and I are both massive Seinfeld fans. So if people are familiar with the show, they'll also know that we pretty much make a Seinfeld comment every episode. Yeah. So at least one. Yeah, there's got to be some some way we can wedge in something in there. So uh, we're we're glad that you're watching Seinfeld. And uh, yeah, we will take any compliment of our show being similar to Seinfeld. That's a great compliment to us. Yeah, no (laughs) doubt about it. Spencer Yeldel wrote in and said, hey, CNC, just wanted to make a comment on something you said regarding the DualShock 4 light bar a few weeks ago. So we were talking about, well, I think he brings it up here, actually. He said, you made a reference to something Sony said following the release of the console that they can't turn the light off for some reason because of the way the controller is manufactured, but I call bullshit on that. I recently hooked up my DualShock 4 to my PC to use on Steam and was shocked to see the controller settings in Steam that allowed me to change the color it will, adjust the brightness and even turn it off while the controller still wo- works just fine. This is a really good point. And I guess we're not really eloquently saying it as well. And obviously, I'm not a technologically advanced person. But I guess what I should say, Chris, is that the DualShock 4 can't work with the PS4 with the light off. Let's just put it that way. I don't know why. Yeah, that's even more baffling, though. That's like, that's even
2: weirder. Because that means that means the DualShock 4 has more functionality than it like elsewhere than it does on the piece of hardware that it's designed for.
1: Yeah, I guess I'm trying to think here. It could just be the way, you know, like consoles are supposed to be standardized and it could be something in the hardware, like in the original run where they're like, well, this is the way the controllers work here. And so they have to work with everything. I assume it's something to do with that. But I wanted to at least bring that up to let everyone know that I hear you. I don't want to talk about the light bar anymore. I can't stand talking about it anymore. (laughs) Let's just pretend it doesn't exist anymore. Let's just forget. Chris, before we move on, I do want to know we're not going to talk about it too much in the news, but. Because I don't know the veracity of this stuff. And also, we don't really talk too much about the really nerdy tech stuff, but there is a Eurogamer article called PS5 and Xbox Series X GPU Spec Leak How Powerful is Next Gen? People can go read into this because I trust Eurogamer and they apparently have some information on the PS5's power and also contrast it to the Xbox Series X's purported power. We're not going to get into that in the news because I don't think we can really effectively talk about it on the show. Maybe Chris can, but I certainly can't. So I did want to let everyone know that that's. Uh, Happening, And also there are some new DualShock 5 trademarks coming out, including a new a new DualShock 5 picture. I don't know if you saw that that someone got next to the dev kit and the controller looks all chunky and weird. Uh, But you guys can go check that out as well. We can't obviously show it to you because this is an audio podcast, but did want to throw all of those things out there. Calvin Kirstein wrote in and said, hey, Colin and Chris, will we see the PS5 in some capacity at CES? The messaging from Sony seems very telling. What does this mean for E3 this year if the PS5 is shown at CES? A lot of people are talking about this. I think the show will actually go live by the time CES even happens. So we'll know one way or the other. But I don't I don't think so. I don't know why they would show the PS5 at, you know, at uh, the Consumer Electronics Show. Yeah, that's a that's a very old thing to do. That's like a thir- that's like what you used to do 25 years ago.
2: Yeah, but maybe, not so much anymore. Maybe they would show like uh, if they showed anything. I, d- I doubt it would be the console. I, it would probably be maximum, maybe the controller, if anything. But even then, it's like why would you show the controller and not the console? So I'm I'm pretty doubtful that that's what's happening. But who knows?
1: We'll probably look like idiots in like a week. When yeah. it actually doesn't. I mean, <laughs> well, we look like idiots anyway. Whether or not that happens, we're still gonna look equally as dumb. Yeah. So I'm not too worried about that. But yeah, we'll see what happens. I know some people are excited about it, but I just feel like that's too small of a show for the gaming market. And people had brought up some interesting points, too, that like no one is pointing towards CES. Like the PlayStation Twitter account isn't like or PlayStation blog isn't like tune in to CES. And like they would definitely want to show you what was happening. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's a pretty safe bet that it's not happening at CES. Yeah, I would think so, too. Hey, it's me, Colin. Just cutting in here. Got my little piece of paper. We were right, there was basically nothing announced of any consequence at CES for PlayStation 5, but there are some interesting statistics I thought I'd just throw in here so you didn't have to wait till next week for us to discuss them. Though we'll discuss all of these numbers in more detail and what they mean during episode 81. So, actually, the big piece of news, I guess, first of all, I tweeted out, so you can go check it out because it's visual, but the PS5 logo has been revealed. It looks just like the remade PS3 logo from PS3 Slim and, of course, the PS4 logo, so no big surprise there. I think it looks cool. A lot of people are upset, no idea why. But the big numbers are 106 million PS4s sold through the end of the year, through the end of 2019, with 1.15 billion pieces of software sold. I did a little bit of math. Now I'm no mathematician, but I come out to 10.84 on the attach rate. So that's pretty good. 10.84, so almost 11 games sold per console. Not too bad. Sony claims there are over 100 million Active users every month on PlayStation 4 on the PSN with 38.8 million PS Plus subscribers. And maybe the most interesting number of all, actually, is the 5 million units or more than 5 million PSVR units sold now. So, not bad. So, that's what everything, or that is everything that was at CES. The logo, which I tweeted out so you can check it out. Visual, obviously, because it is a logo. 106 million PS4s sold, 5 million PSVRs sold, 1.15 billion. Pieces of software sold. That's uh, obviously retail and digital. 100 million plus active users on PlayStation 4 every month. 38.8 million PS Plus subscribers. Not too bad. Back to the show. Actually, that doesn't really make any sense because you're already listening to the show. So back to the show we already recorded. We'll see what happens. We'll keep an eye on it, but don't count on anything. And Andrew Cuccieri wrote in to us. Cuccieri said, what's up, Crazy Colin and Cookie Chris? I don't like it when you guys call Chris cookie. Chris, I just don't like it. Yeah, Uh, he says, hope you are both doing well and had a great holiday, even though the decade doesn't technically end until January 1st, 2021. If you want to be a dick about it, just wanted to ask you what some of your picks would be for the game of the decade or generation as someone who has never gotten heavy into the RPG genre. Then after giving this game a try and not liking it, then going back six months later, The Witcher 3 has become one of my top five games of all time. Love you guys and got your back for life. Well, that's very nice of you, Andrew. Appreciate you. Chris, the decade is technically not over. Everyone knows exactly where I stand on this. But nonetheless, I'm going to relent and say that the decade is over because there was no year zero, of course. Yeah, exactly. But uh, are there any like standout games from this decade that that stick out to you? Because my my original answer was gonna be, oh, Bioshock, but that's definitely not from this decade. So it would (laughs) probably be it would probably be something like The Last of Us or something of that nature. But what games kind of stick out to you?
2: yeah I mean, it's such a hard thing because that's like ten years. That's from Mass Effect two to now, you know
1: right? That that's is a, that's a long an insanely
2: time. huge leap of like tech and you know AI and what thing and what games can even really be. so it's a pretty that's a pretty rough list to narrow down. It would have to be a, a whole list of things. But I would definitely say, if I had to go based on like solely on what I thought the best game this decade was i don't know if i could do that i think skyrim is definitely one that stands out even if like it's one of those games that hasn't aged really well at all it's definitely like there's no doubt that that game was like just such a insane behemoth when it came out and the fact that it's still coming out on hardware and people are still buying it is kind of insane so i think that that's a pretty good case for skyrim but in my opinion i think for me it's it's probably destiny as, as tumultuous as my history yeah. with that game has been. Just because I feel like I spent the beginning of the decade anticipating it. I spent the middle of the decade disappointed with it. And I spent the end of the decade kind of enamored with it. So as far as an all-encompassing game for this, gen- for this decade, for me, it's
1: got to be Destiny, I think. Yeah, that's a that's a great answer. I actually didn't even think about that for you. Yeah. And I don't know why. But yeah, that's that's a perfect. That's a perfect answer. Yeah, I really would have to sit and think about it more. And actually, when I was making this document for this week's show, I did think about it a lot and I I just hate putting myself in a box. I feel like every time I put myself in a box, I forget something. Oh, for sure. And like with game of the year, we you know, we have to really like limit ourselves and all that, which is part of the fun, I guess, is to like really limit yourself and challenge yourself to just pick a few things. But yeah, I guess The Last of Us sticks out to me. The Mass Effect trilogy, although, like you said, Mass Effect 1 came out, what, 2007? No, 2008. Mm-hmm. No, 2007, I guess it was, on Xbox 360. And th- so that obviously doesn't count. But Mass Effect 2 is awesome. I loved Mass Effect 3 as well. And so there are, yeah, there are a ton of really, really great games out there. And the fact that we can't really limit it is kind of a sign that there's just a lot of good stuff to play. So, yeah, uh, we appreciate that. But ask me again when the decade really turns over. Sorry, I had to do it. <laughs>
0: In just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie dot com. That's A N G I. dot com.
1: And finally, before we get into what we're playing, Bart Jacasa wrote in and said, if you two got into a no holds barred fight, who would win? Uh, I, I
2: would have to imagine there would have to be a pretty good reason to fight. Because, yeah. like, I feel like if I'm in a situation where there's a possibility that I might die if I don't try hard enough, I might just not try hard enough just so I could die. Just so you can. Oh, so you can. Oh, you know, I see. I, I like, didn't
1: expect it to go in that direction. Okay. You know what I mean?
2: It's like yeah. I, I've always felt like I've seen like movies where like people are like, oh, we've got to do everything we can to get at like 127 hours. I'd be like, well, my, I guess this is it because <laughs> I'm because mm. I'm not cutting my arm off. You know? Right, of course not. Of I'm just gonna not. just gonna stay there and wither, because I'm totally fine yeah. with that.
1: Yeah, I understand. Okay, I didn't expect it to go in that direction. I appreciate your candor. I feel like, yeah, I, I think I have reach on Chris, but I think if Chris, you know, it's like when heavyweight boxers fight and they move around a lot and then they get really quickly gassed. I feel like if you just move me around a little bit, then I'd be really tired all of a sudden, and then you can just do whatever you want. Because I'm not going to be able to defend myself. So I'm not entirely (laughs) confident that I would beat Chris. But it really I like what Chris said, though. It really depends on what you're fighting over as well. Like, what is what are the stakes? Yeah. And if I had an answer to that, then, well, I I think I can answer the question more concisely. But in the meantime, I'm just going to defer to Chris. Anyway, we already acknowledged at the top of the show that Chris is going to Iran anyway. So (laughs) Uh, Chris is going to be fighting in the Middle East. Good Lord. Let's get into what we are playing. It says here that you've been playing Sekiro, mm-hmm. or Sekiro, depending on how you want to say it. Uh, you've gone back. Yeah,
2: I've. it's it's the one that I really... It's It was the game of the year,
1: according to Jeff Keighley
2: and company. And it just reminded me about it, and I was like, oh yeah, because that was kind of an early game. That was like, what, what March, I think? Uh February yeah, or, or, or March, April, somewhere, somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah, somewhere yeah, there. Some, yeah. So yeah. it was yeah. early enough that I kind of... It's been a while, and I like I went back to it, and I definitely had to start over again, because I was like... I don't remember what the hell I was doing or where to go or like what any of this shit does, but uh, I'm back into it and I th- I've gotten further so far I, like this playthrough I've gotten further than I ever have in a very short amount of time so I think uh, I think I've got a pretty good handle on it. Looking forward to finishing it hopefully,
1: uh, but it's good. Excellent. It's still good. I I really like it. Excellent. Yeah, I was glad to see in the document that you did go back to it because I know you really liked it a lot. It was one of those games that, again, the audience knows I played a little bit and I just I was just it was just not vibing with me. I just wasn't feeling it. I don't know why it's something it's one of those games, especially aesthetically where I'm like, oh, I'm going to love this. But it just wasn't just wasn't for me. And. I can always go back to it later. I felt that way about Bloodborne initially as well. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of similar games, I guess, in some sense. And then I went back to Bloodborne in 2017 and I actually really loved it. So I might just need to give it a little time and a little time to marinate on it. Uh, but for me, I actually went back over the holiday and played Dead Space on PS3. And I did this for a knockback because the most episode 99 of knockback that I did with my brother is about Dead Space as voted on by our audience. And of course, this game came out in 2008. Uh, right around my birthday in October of 2008 on PS3, 360 and PC. It's conspicuously absent from PS4. You can't even play it on PS now, which is really weird. Only Dead Space 3 is on PS now, which even makes less sense than none of the Dead Space games being on there. But that game really holds up really well. And it's just it's really good. Yeah, it's just I've always loved that game. And I've always called it one of the great survival horror games, if not really pound for pound, the greatest survival horror game. I don't know. That I feel quite like that because obviously Resident Evil 2 remakes in there and there are a few others that I think would, you know, Resident Evil 4 even would be in there. But Dead Space is excellent. And if you guys have not played it, my brother actually bought a copy on PS3 in preparation for the show and he got it on eBay for like 10 bucks shipped. So you guys can go find a really cheap copy of it. And it's also available backwards compatible on Xbox One through Xbox 360 and it's playable on PC. But just a really great survival horror game takes place in space on the USG Ishimura and the Aegis 7 Uh, system or the Aegis system. Aegis 7 is the planet. And it's just really, really fun. It's by Visceral, but when they were known by EA Redwood Shores, this was the game where they turned into the Visceral game, starting with Dead Space 2. And I don't know, it's a nice 10-hour adventure. And I actually played through it uh, on normal difficulty, but only using the plasma cutter, which is a trophy. And I just wanted to see if I can do it. And it's so satisfying to play the game that way, because not only is the plasma cutter like the coolest weapon in the game, but it's just, I love the idea of cutting off the appendages and just, I think my brother was saying that in one of their, they did like a making up documentary or whatever at EA a while back and he was watching it in preparation for the show and he was saying that they liken it to like putting a key in the key, like in a, into a door in a horror movie like you're trying to get out. And it's not just about like pummeling an enemy with bullets, it's about like aiming when the enemy's coming at you. Yeah. And I really love thinking about it that way. So like you're not aiming at his head, like you can shoot the wrong part of a body and like it makes the enemy angry or it spawns more enemies and stuff so you have to really take your time even though all of your gaming instincts are telling you to just pummel this dude with as many rounds as you can and so it's just really fun to play and it's really manageable and you can beat it in like a few days at the most if you spend a few hours a night with it so if you've not experienced dead space check it out and it it really makes me wish that they would bring that series back although obviously visceral is gone I feel like that. I feel like that franchise is so relevant right now with Resident Evil's resurgence that I wouldn't really be that surprised if Dead Space came back. Yeah, but I first don't think, thing. For, I don't think so either. Yeah. I, think,
2: I think we're hitting like a pretty good, not horror renaissance necessarily, but I, th- I feel like horror is actually kind of expl- I, I, like I don't think there were any horror games that were nominated for Game of the Year the year prior to last year. Like it's not like a super common thing to see. I feel like so it's cool to see you know Resident Evil two last year was actually up there and
1: it's 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 neat yeah it's awesome so we'll see what happens i mean first things first though chris let's get these games on fucking playstation now at the very least yeah if not backwards compatible and it is really conspicuous that there's like no trilogy are they not on playstation now you know like i said the only dead space 3 which is the weirdest weirdest part of all yeah is so like i would it would make more sense to me if they were just not on ps now but dead space 3 is on ps now so i'm saying okay it's a little strange so there is that highly recommended, although I know most of you have already played it, but it stands up. And by the way, it was one of the first games I ever got trophies in. So because it was one of the first games that had trophies, actually. So if you go back and look, I, there's like something like, I don't know what it is. What would it be? Uh, Twelve years between like the first trophy iron and the last trophy iron, which is kind of cool. A little little piece of history there. Yeah. And I'd like to go get the platinum. I'm actually playing through it on impossible mode now. It's fucking really hard, Yeah, but I'm I'm doing the cheats. There are a lot of cheats in the games, like you can refill your stasis energy and stuff over and over again by just putting in this code in the start menu. So I've been doing that, if I'm being honest. Yeah, well, whatever. Yeah, fuck it. Fuck all of you. All right, Chris, let's... <laughs> wow, we're getting real mean today. Yeah. Oh, I am anyway. Chris, let's get into the news. There's not too much to get into. I actually went back two weeks because we haven't recorded a show per se since around Christmas, but there really isn't that much to talk about. But there are a few big pieces of news as we ease back into what would I assume Well, what I assume is going to be a very busy year starting very, very soon. Yeah. So let's enjoy it while we can. Number one. Publisher Electronic Arts is opting to divide and conquer, summoning one of its established executives to help rebrand and lead an already existing EA studio into the promised land. According to an extensive piece in the Los Angeles Times about EA-owned Respawn Entertainment, the team responsible for the Titanfall franchise, Apex Legends, and most recently, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, Respawn co-founder Vince Ampella is being dispatched to DICE LA, the Los Angeles-based satellite studio that works in a support role on behalf of the main DICE studio in Europe, the guys primarily behind Battlefield and Battlefront. There, he will rebrand the team, and they'll make a game of their very own, which is a first since the dev was founded in 2013. Vince Zampella will remain Respawn's CEO, too, as he has been since before EA acquired the team outright in 2017. Before that, of course, Vin Zampella co-founded Activision-owned Infinity Ward in 2002, which was later acquired by Activision. As you recall, both Zampella and his co-founder Jason West, who, who works now with Epic Games, was fired from Infinity Ward in 2010, though Infinity Ward continues without them. In the L.A. Times article, Zampella is quoted as saying that Dice LA's revival, quote, will be separate from Dice Stockholm and separate from Respawn, end quote, and that he wants to, quote, give it a new image. We want people to say this is a destination where you can go and make new content. I think they've kind of gotten the branding that they are our support studio for Dice Stockholm, end quote. What the nature of their game will be is still unknown, although it's important to note that DICE LA, when founded, was essentially a rebranded version of Danger Close Games, which EA long owned and which created a ton of Medal of Honor games between 2000 and 2012. While Medal of Honor is actually being revived in VR format by Respawn, it's entirely possible a single-player standard Medal of Honor game will come out of this new project. Jacob, just Jacob wrote in and said to us happy new year cnc what do you think of vince Pella co-founder of infinity ward and then respawn i can't say infinity by the way and then respawn being promoted to the head of dice la he's to continue at respawn as well it makes sense since he has worked on or produced some of the most popular ip of the last 20 years to include medal of honor call of duty titanfall fallen order and apex legends it's a really good point i just hope he isn't stretched too thin keep doing things great tuesday i don't know what that means but that's what it says Chris, what do you make of this? I know you're a huge Respawn fan, so I'm really curious what you make of this move because this seems like a really smart move, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a super good move for Dice LA, for certain. I, I do wonder how this will affect Respawn. Uh, I do think there's a really high potential for him being stretched a little too thin, like he puts it. But uh, we, we won't know until we see... I, I, evidently, this guy's really good at doing his job, so... Uh. <laughs> i don't think there's no doubt yeah i I don't think he would have necessarily taken a job that he didn't think he could do but like i don't know man everybody's a person you know so i I always i always wonder like with these kinds of moves it's like good for dice but like is this gonna like make dice a little bit better and make respawn a little bit worse and just kind of keep them at like a a relatively equal level of pretty okay
1: you know yeah it's a great point i I don't know what the calculus is because it's not very common to see someone lead two teams right. it's, it's it happens but you know jacob makes a good point chris and i think it's a great point that if you were to because he talks about Medal of honor call of duty titanfall uh star wars and apex legends now apex legends is technically titanfall and they don't own star wars but it is true that these are big games and he's been involved in kind of the genesis of some of these big games and I do wonder, like, what is the special sauce that he brings to the equation because he is the common denominator between all of those things, even after, you know, Jason West left Respawn before Titanfall even came out. So it remains to be seen what like how active he was in that he was always the lesser of the two names. And I don't mean that as an insult. He was just not the big name. I remember when they got fired from uh, Infinity Ward, that was like a huge deal. And. I got to look back about the ins and outs of that. But that, that had something to do with like some weird shit going on with Activision at the time and EA fired them or I'm sorry, the other way around. And like they were going behind their backs or something, as I recall, it was like some weird palace intrigue shit. But nonetheless, I, I'm really interested to see how this works out as well. And with Danger Close having a heritage DICE LA and Medal of Honor being developed there for so long and all of these different things, it's kind of like a full circle thing for Zampella. So I assume it was a lot of money uh thrown at him and Respawn seems to be in three teams now. So I wonder if he's kind of just like a figurehead because they have uh they have the I guess the Titanfall team or what was the Titanfall team, the Apex Legends team and then of course the the team that worked on Fallen Order plus they have the whole VR initiative over there now as well because Medal of Honor is coming back as a VR game. And I think it's exclusive to Oculus. I don't even think it's going to come to PSVR. So, or at least mm. it's timed exclusive there. So, yeah. yeah, I was thinking about you when I read this because I know how you feel about Respawn. And I would be a little worried about that, too. I'm, I'm a little worried about Respawn just from the sense of w- how is Apex Legends changing them? Nonetheless, Star Wars, because Apex Legends is so huge. And I was actually reading something on Games Industry International where there, there was like a bunch of analysts talking about this year. And they were saying that Fortnite is actually declining and Apex Legends is actually still growing. And so will Apex Legends eventually cannibalize this entire studio's output? That's the one thing I'm a little nervous about. But Star Wars was so big. It's like one of the best-selling games of the year. And people still want them to go back to Titanfall proper. And Vin Sampella did say in the interview that they want to make single-player games. So that kind of brought me... That that, that heartened me a little bit. Because he was saying when they started making Titanfall, there wasn't this like single-player is dying narrative that there is now and so i think they want to be part of the solution which is kind of cool yeah that's cool i like that so we'll see how this all goes but we wish Vin, vince vince the very best and i'm actually interested to see what they call dice la uh, what what they rebranded as because they definitely need a new name and he oh, did for sure. <laughs> yeah for he sure he did confirm that they're going to do that chris number two i'm going to be a little vague on this one said uh he says i said i wrote it Final Fantasy VII Remake is finally due to launch on PlayStation 4 on March 3rd in just a couple of months, and not surprisingly, the leaks have begun in earnest. We won't be discussing any of the leaks or spoilers here so as to not ruin what the game has to offer, but we will note that it appears Final Fantasy VII Remake is getting a fully playable demo on PS4, though its release date hasn't yet been revealed at the time of recording. People have already mined, ripped, and released the demo in various forms, apparently, and you can watch both the demo's intro as well as other gameplay from it on YouTube and elsewhere. Again, be wary of spoilers, so I refuse to read any of the stories about this because I don't want the game spoiled for me because I know it's not a pound-for-pound remake of Final Fantasy VII, and therefore... It will be something new for all of us. But if you're interested in going to check this out, you guys can go do that. Have you seen anything about this or are you uh, avoiding it? Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to avoid it just because I really, really haven't uh, played
2: through the entirety of Final Fantasy seven. And there's no reason for me to just <laughs> it feel like it would
1: be a disservice to me, especially definitely. If you're new to the game entirely and don't even really know what it's about from the get go, then this is definitely going to ruin it. I-, I did read a, a few things Just in the sense that people are, I guess, a little mad that it seems like it's just like switching some things around. But I was like, well, what did you expect? It's clearly not a pound for pound remake of the game. And they've been pretty clear about that. But yeah, I'm treating it as a new game. I don't want to spoil it at all. Yeah, I'm not even going to play the demo when it comes. It's inevitably coming to PlayStation 4, obviously the demo, because as far as I understand, I think people went into like the the metadata or something on PSN and like pulled it off. So it's like there already. It's just not available to download publicly. And uh, obviously, everyone likes to ruin everything for themselves and for others. So be very careful out there. <laughs> My God, I don't understand what what people get like such pleasure out of ruining things for other people. I don't.
2: Yeah, I don't get that.
1: It feels so wrong to me.
2: Uh, yeah, that's I mean, that's why instead of doing that, you could just, you know, play Goose Game or something.
1: Play a game that lets you do that. Right. You exactly. Know? You can literally ruin other people's experiences in other games as opposed to figuratively, of course. Number three, January 2020's free PlayStation Plus games have been revealed. And by the time you hear this podcast, they will be available to you free of charge. So long as you have an active PlayStation Plus account. This month's big game is Uncharted, the Nathan Drake Collection. The 2015 PS4 compilation by Bluepoint Games, whoa, that combines PlayStation 3's three Uncharted games, Drake's Fortune, Among Thieves, and Drake's Deception, into one package. The other free game is the Bizarre Goat Simulator, which first came which first came to PC in 2014, and to both PS3 and PS4 in 2015. This is the PS4 version. Remember to add both games to your download, download list, even if you don't intend on playing them immediately, or perhaps even ever, as they'll remain free to you to play beyond January, so long as your PS Plus account is active and they're on your list. These games will be available for free until February 3rd, 2020, at which point the next set of free games will become available. So act now. Nolan Potter, Nolan Potter, Potter. wrote into us. Nolan Potter. He says, Charleston Collin and Santa Monica Maldonado. The PS Plus offering this month is the Uncharted Collection. Best lineup of all time. Anything better you guys can think of? March 2018 instantly comes to mind as the only competitor with Bloodborne and the newest Ratchet and Clank title that instantly came to mind for you because I don't think I can think of any other PlayStation Plus lineups. Yeah, going all the way back ten years. I don't think I categorize them in my head. You know, I just think
2: like, oh, it's another month, and it's another uh, two games that I probably played already. Right. <laughs> exactly. I don't really think I. Uh, it's a good. It's definitely a good value. Oh, it's it's great. Uh, Ghost Simulator is a
1: is a fever dream of a game, but uh, it's it's got value, I guess. Yeah, I think the Uncharted collection obviously is is a huge one. If you guys, for, ins- for some reason, have not played the Uncharted trilogy, it is a great value to you. But he says what instantly came to mind was the month that Bloodborne and Ratchet and & Clank, the remake, the 2016 remake, were free. And that's a much better lineup, in my opinion, just for versatility. But nonetheless, I think it's a great lineup. And yeah, for some reason, if some of you have not played Uncharted yet, now's the time. Although I think that the trilogy is... Probably like ten bucks if you bought it on disc, so I don't think it's really that big of a value.
2: Yeah, well, it's they're they're good games for the most part. I was playing I was playing the the first one on PS Now a couple days ago, and uh, <laughs> um, I forgot how horrifying Nathan Drake looks sometimes in the beginning of that game. It's definitely very it's definitely very early, you know.
1: Uh <laughs> it It felt way older than I remember it feeling. I think we've come so far. You're talking about the boat, right? And all that weird stuff that happens at the beginning. Yeah, the boat scene where his he looks kind of like a like a marionette. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it that whole scene is weird because it doesn't it doesn't look good at all. You're like in the middle of the ocean. It's it's a bizarre o- intro when you really look it's, back at it. But. Yeah,
2: it's it's super weird because the rest of the game actually looks pretty good compared to that boat section.
1: It's very weird. Yeah, it's a very lush game. Yeah. I'll give it I'll give them that. A lot of jungle scenes and a lot of beautiful colors. But yeah, we've come so far since that game came out in the fall of two thousand seven that it really is amazing how quaint it looks compared Were you playing the PS three version or the PS four version?
2: I I believe it was the PS three version because I was streaming it on
1: PS now. Ah, uh, I see. Yeah, it was, it was the original yeah, how, how did it work? How did it work? What, did the PS Now work for you?
2: It's. I mean, it, it works until it doesn't, and then it, it's very quickly before it doesn't, and you're just like, I guess I'm just not going to play this.
1: Yeah, it's disappointing. Is
2: basically what happens. Like, I, I've just, it works pretty well, and then you're like, oh, wow, it's actually working. And then 10 minutes or like 12 minutes in, uh, it starts to lag for no good reason, and it's like,
1: this is a PS3 game, come on. It's, I don't know, man. I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, I'm trying to be more fair about it. We do get some in- we have rather gotten some input from the audience that we need to talk more about PlayStation now and be fair to it. So I am trying to both talk about it more and be fair to it. But I'm getting a lot of mixed feedback about how it's working for people. And yeah. I, I personally haven't used it yet still. So yeah. I, I don't I don't know.
2: Well, look, man, I'm u- I'm using it and I, I I would love for it to be good. I have no reason to root against it. But if if this is the solution to backwards compatibility, it's it's just not it's not a good solution. It's just flat out.
1: Yeah, I agree. The, the, the backwards compatibility. Well, we'll actually get into it in the letters later on from the yeah. audience, but the backwards compatibility issue. Yeah, it's it's a pro- this is a problem. It's a problem for sure. Number four, in a shocking piece of holiday time news, the long in development in and absolutely never happening Uncharted movie has lost yet another director. According to film website Deadline, Travis Knight, who was the most recent director attached to the project, has a production conflict that will take him off of the piece. He was, by my count, the sixth director attached to a Sony-endorsed film adaptation of the game series going back to 2008, 12 years Deadline Source claims that Sony intends on continuing with the film with Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg playing Drake and Sully, as previously reported. But the movie will get a new release date, which is meaningless since the film never had a public release date to begin with. With PlayStation Productions now internally trying to get film adaptations of its IP off of the ground, this is a movie Sony wants to be made, clearly, but it continues to seem unlikely. (laughs) This was the least shocking piece of news that I saw In a long time. No, for sure. (laughs) Who even cares anymore? Who cares? It's just the default
2: state of it's just the default state for these things at this point. Like there's no good reason to believe that a video game movie is coming out, which is a shame because, you know, we have things like The Witcher, which I know is like not entirely video game based, it's based on a book, but things like Witcher and Castlevania was so good. I feel like these things really flourish on TV more than anything. Like we don't need we don't need an uncharted movie. I can't even tell you how many directors the Halo movie has been through since in the, in the last like 15 years. Peter Jackson, Neil Blomkamp, like everybody has touched that movie and it's still not around and it's missed its boat. There's no reason for it. It's fine. Is Uncharted even still a thing that would drive people to the theater? That's a big game in the industry, but I, I don't know if that's gonna, I don't know. I, I, I don't think that if you played Uncharted back in the day, you'd see a trailer for an Uncharted movie and then you'd be like, Hyped as hell to go to the theater and see it. Like I just don't know if it translates that well, especially so far after the series's peak. In my opinion,
1: yeah, I I agree with you completely. I think that well, you have to think Uncharted one was 2007, two was 2009, three was 2011, and then the fourth one was 2016. So I think that they missed their window by at least five years or more. And I, I just think this isn't the first time that Sony has been trying to get these movies off of the ground and not only with Uncharted, but with others. Remember, there was a Ratchet and Clank movie that no one cared about, and they were developing a Sly Cooper, uh, I'm sorry, a movie, a Sly Cooper movie that I, no one cared about either that I don't think has even left production. So I don't know exactly what the intent is, but I do know that, what is that guy's name, Kizzle or whatever? He's like one of the European Sony executives is leading up the PlayStation Productions pipeline that they're trying to do now internally to get these IP into, movie stu- you know, into movies, into movie theaters and I just continue to really stress that I think that these two things should remain largely separate. I just don't know. I I always feel and I said this so, so much. I don't mean to be redundant, but I just feel like they're trying to prove something like, oh, video games are serious. We can make a movie out of it and people will go see a movie about a video game. It's like, I don't care. I, I want a video game out of you. I don't want a Last of Us movie. I don't want a Bioshock movie. I don't want any of this. I want you guys to make video games or make movies. And yeah, with The Witcher, it's a great example. And, and unfortunately, it's going to lead people down this, I think, dangerous path because The Witcher has been successful, I think. And it has been really successful in getting people to go back and play the game again, apparently. Apparently, there was more concurrence playing Witcher 3 over the holidays this year than when the game came out four years ago. Yeah. Uh, so or it was almost five years ago now. So when I see that, I, I I was like, oh, that's really great for CD Projekt and Netflix. But I was like, oh man, this is really bad because now everyone's going to see. Well, we can like butter both sides of the bread now, you know, and we can we can really like go back into the well and get people to buy our games again that are basically dormant or dead. And I think it's a bad and hazardous path Maybe. to go on. But there there also is the optimistic
2: route where people can see like, okay, well, this. You know, this kind of cross-pollination works, but only if the television or Netflix or whatever the hell uh, you want to categorize it as, only if that media is well done. You know, so maybe we can't just kind of half-ass a script and, like, throw together some random, you know, dossier or some random project to be tossed around between 18 different directors. Maybe we really, you know, if we want to get that cross-pollination, we have to actually take this project seriously and treat it as something that isn't just a hole like to dump money into? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's a good it point. Because like it, it seems like the current model for television based on games is like we just want, we have a valuable IP and we want to capitalize on that valuable IP to an audience who has never seen it. It's not necessarily let's make something so good that people will want to dive into our main bread and butter. And maybe that'll be like a, the proper shift
1: that that kind of thing needs. That's true. That's a good point in the sense that that's probably just an additional benefit yeah. of getting the IP out there because then you because I don't know I don't know what CD Projects anticipation was or expectations were rather for getting people to play the game again, but I'm sure they're really pleased. And it is funny, you brought up Castlevania, which you and I both love on Netflix. It's really great. I'm not a huge anime fan, but I really love it. And I'm obviously a big Castlevania fan too. And it goes the other direction there where like Castlevania as a game series is completely irrelevant right now. And the only relevance that that IP has is on Netflix with the series. So I guess it's a way to revive something you don't otherwise intend on doing anything with. Although I guess I'm being a little bit hypocritical because I would love to see Konami revive Castlevania based on the series, which is based on like the Castlevania trilogy yeah. on NES. But that art style and that that version of Alucard and Dracula and Sypha and everything really cool. <laughs> yeah, show just so, so good. There's another season coming actually, out soon. I saw that and I think it's a little longer, too, which is cool because I felt like I think the first season was like four episodes or something. and yeah. I think it was over in like 90 minutes. I wanted much more, but it's so good. It's very good. If you guys haven't watched it, check it out. Number five, not surprisingly, Japanese mega publisher slash developer Square Enix has confirmed what we already knew. Dragon Quest 12 is in development. Word comes by way of, Japanese langui- of a Japanese language tweet rather, from Yuji Horii, the longtime lead of the once-Enix-developed-and-published JRPG franchise. As translated by website JapaneseNintendo.com, the statement said in part that Dragon Quest 12 entered production in 2019. Dragon Quest games have typically taken a long time to develop since the Famicom and Super Famicom days, when Dragon Quests 1 through 6 were launched in a 10-year period. In the 25 years since, only 5 more mainline Dragon Quest games have launched. Dragon Quest 7 on PS1 in 2000, Dragon Quest 8 on PS2 in 2004, which is made by Level 5, Dragon Quest 9 on Nintendo DS in 2009, Dragon Quest 10, which is an MMO only in Japan on Wii in 2012, and finally Dragon Quest 11 on PS4 in 2017. It has since come to Switch. With that math in mind, it seems likely we won't get another or I'm sorry we won't get Dragon Quest 12 until sometime in the mid 2020s Though we hope to hear more in the near future that was a pretty big piece of news in nerd circles that was making the (laughs) rounds uh, in the last week or so so I did did want to note that and as I told the audience Chris I am going to play a JRPG every month this uh, year that's my plan have you gotten started not yet I think I've kind of narrowed it down to a few games like Trails of Cold Steel on Vita is one of the games I want to play Dragon Quest 11 which I never beat is one of the games that I want to play. And I actually downloaded, it's not Japanese technically, but it's Japanese style, uh, Pure Solar, which came out, I think, in 2015, which, as I recall, was like a Genesis role, like a game that they made more currently that was supposed to be on Genesis, like one of those fan projects that right. was then ported to console. And I played it just a little bit. I think I might actually go in that direction, although I don't know if it technically counts. You got to get going. I'm looking forward to it. these months fly by faster than you think they do. I know, especially when you need 100 hours to get through this nerdy ass shit. So yeah, I gotta you're right, I absolutely have to get going on that. Number six, this one's for you, Chris. Oh, it yes appears it is. Sony- yes it is. <laughs> Yeah, I know this is the next game will will into existence. It appears Sony may be prepping to launch a new Ape Escape game, at least if a tweet from an official Japanese Ape Escape Twitter account is any indication. As website Push Square reminds us, it was actually in mid-2019 that the aforementioned Twitter account celebrating Ape Escape's 20th anniversary popped up alongside a cryptic Japanese Ape Escape website. Well, on New Year's Eve, the Twitter account tweeted yet again, stating as translated by the website, quote, Happy New Year this year. Also exciting. Wonderful to send lots of important information. End quote. That's what it says. So it sure does sound like we're getting we're going to be getting more Ape Escape, though in what format and on what platform or platforms remains to be seen. The Sony owned and developed Ape Escape franchise began back on PS1 in 1999, with additional game releases on PS2 and PSP in 2002 and 2005, and ancillary Ape Escape games released on PS2 and PSP from 2002 through 2010. Ape Escape was last seen as a Move-exclusive PS3 game called PlayStation Move Ape Escape in 2010. Kendrick Lukenbach wrote in and said, hey, Colin and Chris, well, it looks like Chris is speaking another remake into existence. A new Ape Escape 20th anniversary tweet appeared on New Year's Eve with the following tweet. Any he, and he notes what the tweet says, Chris, keep speaking games back into existence, please. We need our legacy of Kane back. Happy New Year's, gents. Can't wait to see what 2020 brings. Chris, how are you feeling?
2: I feel, uh, I feel pretty good that I am apparently this catalyst that everything seems to pour through as far as like PS1 remakes go. I love it. I love it. I feel like I, I feel like there's nothing that I've said that hasn't happened yet. nothing that I've said can't happen now because Escape is one of those things that especially is one of those things that I'm like, who who the hell cares about this? you know it's weird, right yeah
1: I, I'm with you. I don't know who cares about it. I, don't I do. know and uh that's all that matters evidently. They must be listening. You have wonderful arcane powers. They're definitely listening. They just pretend that they don't You have wonderful arcane powers. And I want you to keep it up because I'm it's exciting. These are exciting times for all of us. All right, Chris, number seven. As multiple sources have pointed out, it appears that Swedish studio Frictional Games is preparing to reveal its next title. Frictional Games's website now points to next Frictional game in one of its navigation dropdowns, which in turn leads to a website that contains only a weird pulsing object of some sort that almost looks like a bullet hole or something. You guys can go look at it. It's not. But that's what it looks like. This is fairly significant because because Frictional's 2015 horror game Soma was a pretty big hit when it came to both PC and PS4 that year. Frictional Games was founded in 2007, the same year the company released the first of its three penumbra to survival horror games, which were only on PC. The company's first major release was Amnesia, the Dark Descent, which launched on PC in 2010, but which came to PS4 in 2016. Were you a fan of any of this stuff? Because I only played a little bit of Soma, but I otherwise never played any of these games.
2: Yeah, personally. I I definitely played Amnesia back in the day because that was like one of the bigger. That was one of the biggest games that I remember being promoted a lot on YouTube because a lot of uh, content creators back then who are now enormous were playing. It. I think PewDiePie was playing it. I think, you know, Markiplier and Jacksepticeye, a bunch of people bunch of I think now the biggest channels in the world as far as video games go started with that game or at least started around the same time so I remember playing that game and I remember being suitably creeped out by it
1: I never played soma though yeah soma I played only for a little while I don't I, get, I always get distracted when I play games back especially back in the day when I was just getting like a ton of codes and I felt like really overwhelmed now everyone just ignores us so that's actually I'm in a much more peaceful place now yeah. with my game playing but back then I felt like I needed to touch everything and try to try to get involved in as many games as I can. But it it has a really great reputation. And it seems like these guys take their time because Soma came out back in 2015. They haven't even announced their game. It's 2020 now. So I don't know. I know a lot of people are excited about it. I'm looking forward to seeing more, especially because uh, horror has such a good place now or a really positive place in gaming. Yeah, which I guess they were kind of part of, along with Red Barrels and a few other studios. They were kind of part of that renaissance before the Triple A's got back.
2: Oh, for sure. I I think I might be wrong here, but I feel like Amnesia was probably the first big horror game that was like not necessarily indie, but it, it felt like it. I felt like it came out of nowhere on PC and really exploded. And I think that really set the stage for like Five Nights at Freddy's and all these other like independent PC-based horror games that just sort of exploded around that time. Uh, Slender was another one. Slender, that's right. That was that was huge. I think that game sucks. <laughs> like, I, like for real. But uh, it's actually pretty
1: important. I feel like people are desperate for horror games. I just feel like they're desperate for it's, it's very similar to films where like when there's even a half decent horror film, people really grapple onto it because it's somewhat rare to find, you know, an Ari Aster, you know, Ari Aster rather. I loved his movies and I just watched that movie Us a oh, couple yeah. days ago. Which was, uh, I never saw the other one get out or whatever. Uh, I thought Us was pretty good, but it was weird. Yeah, weird shit, I, uh,
2: actually. the last horror movie I saw was Cats.
1: <laughs> did you go see it? I did. Oh my
2: goodness, what was it like? I would, I, listen man, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like Cats. It's a whole film about cats introducing themselves, singing a song, and then exploding. <laughs> And I, I'm not even exaggerating in the slightest. Why did you want to go see it? You just wanted to have a good uh, good laugh? No, I was really curious because I don't know if you heard about this. This is like not PlayStation News at all. But the Cats movie that came out had so many CGI errors in it that they patched the movie. The movie I did, had a I did day one that. patch. It's awesome. Which is amazing. And I wanted to see it before they patched it out. They patched all the stupid shit out. So I got to see the, I got to see the broken... Uh, Completely, completely barren uh, version of cats where you see human hands occasionally, and it's like, yeah, a, I saw that. Uh, Judy Dench's like wedding ring is in a scene or something. Oh like yeah, that, some weird shit. it's it's a yeah. mess, and it's 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 wonderful. I would I I would totally recommend seeing that movie whenever you can. Did you also see the Did you see the John Travolta movie that came out recently? That's directed by Fred Durst. <laughs> No, I didn't even know that that happened. What oh, it's, is it called? it's very real. It 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 made uh, a whopping, huh? let me let me check this, uh, $3,000 at the box office.
1: <laughs> like, how is that even possible to make $3,000? I don't know. I don't know how you office. have a movie with John Travolta in it and you make $3,000. Keep on rolling, baby. That's awesome. Fred Durst is getting involved in uh in his his directorial debut. Oh, yeah. Or maybe he's done other ones. There's I don't a know, scene
2: but... where the main character plays a Limp biscuit song in the car. <laughs> And it's, it's of course, just so is.
1: self-congratulatory. I love it. Now, I can't hate because I love Limp Bizkit, but of course I do. So, all right, Chris, there's just a brief wrap up. Number yeah. eight, the very strange untitled goose game, which Chris brought up earlier, which came to PS4 in mid-December, has surpassed a million copies sold across all platforms, according to its publisher. So a massive success for them. And story-driven FPS Void Bastards has been rated for release on PS4 by Peggy, the European Games Rating Board, according to website Gamatsu. That's fairly uh, significant because that game apparently is heavily inspired by Bioshock. So I'm really looking forward to checking that out. I think it's already on PC, but I have not played it there. Yeah,
2: I've seen some people talk about Void Bastards and it looks really cool. Void Bastards.
1: Also a good name. It is. It surprises me, too, because there was God, I can't think of what the fuck the name was called. The game was called. There was a game on PS3 like years ago that was originally called something bastard and they renamed it. They had to rename it because Sony had a problem with it. God, I wish I remembered. Someone will write in and let me know what it was. And now Void. you know, if I were them, I'd be like, what the fuck? Now you're releasing a game called Void Bastards. We had to rename our game and ruin our entire marketing campaign for this shit. (laughs) That's (laughs) So so shitty. Yeah, I wish I remember what it was called. So can you just not, I guess you just can't have certain words in in the titles of games, even if they're pretty tame? I guess so. I guess this has changed now, because if it's, it's, if it's rated by Peggy, then it's coming. So Yeah. Yeah, I wish I remembered what it was. I, c- I could easily look it up, but someone will just look it up for me and then let me know. Yeah, we should have called our game, uh, I don't know, Dipshits United or something. <laughs> Dip, shit, get, bitch yeah, dip <laughs> shit,
2: bitch ass. dip shit,
1: bitch A Sacred Symbols Adventure. Well, there'll be time for that. Maybe that'll be the sequel to Twin Breaker. We'll have to find <laughs> out. Dip shit, McFuck
2: ass.
1: <laughs> dip shit. God help us. All right. All right, Chris. Uh, it's time to get into the new game releases, but there is no drop again this week. I guess there are no games coming out this week, which is good because it'll allow it. I'm getting sad. I'm getting sad at the lack of, like, I miss, I miss reading them. You're getting sad, but I'm getting scared because I'm wondering, like, how big... This drop is going to be next week. Oh, yeah. If we've gotten this along without a game release. So getting a little nervous on my end, because I think this is like three weeks in a row now with no drop. But we didn't only miss two weeks because we did our game of the year episode. Uh, but we did have a letter here from Timothy Bryant. He wrote in and said, hey, theory of entertainment e equals CM squared. Whoa. Oh, you, you guys didn't have a drop last week for the new game releases. And it made me wonder how many games would have to release in any given week for you to go. I'm not reading all of these games. I figure you're somewhere around 50 games. You'll go back and actually count them so you can tell us and Chris how many games you were actually released. But what number do you think you would go to get to where you would not even read them all for that week? Or are you committed to reading them no matter what? My guess would be somewhere after 100. Keep on entertaining, entertaining me and making all my decades great again. I feel like we had like 25 one week, right? Something insane yeah. like that. Yeah, that I, I think... That didn't dissuade us. I think the second that... It takes
2: up more than two pages of a Google Doc. You know what I mean? I feel like the second yeah. it gets to that, to that point, I'm like, listen. <laughs> you gotta you gotta calm down. It's you know, too much. You gotta be it's reserved about what you're gonna put out. Just don't put anything out if you're gonna put it out alongside 50 other video games.
1: There's no point. There's you might as really well no point just, in doing
2: just, it. You might as well just delay it.
1: Yeah, I feel like with Twin Breaker... Like, the only reason Twin Breaker is going to sell is because of our show. No one's going to notice it otherwise. Right. So, like, I always wonder, like, we have the advantage that we're going to sell thousands of copies of this game because of the show. And I'm really thankful about that. I have no doubt we're going to sell thousands of copies of our game. But if you don't have that advantage, then what Like, I just wonder sometimes how many of these games or how many copies of these games actually sell, because, like, is someone going to come across Twin Breaker and buy it naturally? I guess maybe some people will review it or something. But yeah. I'm a little scared of that, to be honest. I'm a little scared of our game getting reviewed because the shoe's going to be on the other foot for once. (laughs) Hopefully we don't get a bad Metacritic score. We'll see. Oh, well. The game's really fun. I mean, I play it and Chris has played it. I think it's really fun, but we'll see what everyone thinks about it when the time comes. You have to all be very patient out there. All right, Chris, since there are no games to, to... annoy us and and to timothy's point i mean my whole goal with the game releases is to just i want to talk about every game once like every game that comes to ps4 psvr ps5 vita i want to just say it once on the show that's like kind of my ocd thing so that's kind of my the or the reason that we want to do that and i don't know that any game or there would be too many games although people keep complaining about the list but remember we put a poll out like a while ago and asked people like, well, what do you think? Should we keep doing it or not? And that was a publicly available poll, as I remember, but I could be wrong. And it was like four to one that wanted us to keep doing it. So I think most people get the humor in what we're trying to do. I mean, we lose our I I wish people wouldn't skip it. I know some people do skip that segment of the show because I think that's where we actually lose our minds the most and the show becomes funniest.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. There was (laughs) there was one particularly and I think the last one that we recorded sequentially. That really got me laughing. Yeah, that was the one with the guy that that had uh, the autism, what? the name the autism. nameless the nameless kid with a... <laughs> right. It's a shame uh, you're missing out. I think if you if you skip the drop,
1: I think so too. Plus, i, I it's a nice way to legitimately find out what's what's coming out. I mean, yeah. I, not that not that the descriptions ever really tell you, uh, but they try nonetheless. So, Chris, with the vacancy of a drop this week just like the last time we didn't have a drop, there are going to be, or there will be, 10 questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience here to wrap up our show instead of six, which is what tradition usually dictates. And we'll start with Zach Wishnuff, who says, Colin and Chris, if Nintendo ever stops making consoles and goes third party, do you think that they'll eventually be acquired by Sony or Microsoft or possibly sign an exclusivity deal with one of them? And would the exclusivity of their IP be enough to end the console wars? Keep making Tuesdays great. Well, First of all, that's not going to happen anytime soon. Switch was the best-selling console of 2019. It's going to be the best-selling console probably of 2020 as well. And and that includes, by the way, the new consoles, because they're going to have 12 months to sell it, as opposed to a month and a half, which is what PS5 is going to be on the market for, or Xbox Series X. But this, has actually been a, this was a question that r- came up during the Wii U era quite often, because the Wii U was such a disaster, and the 3DS wasn't really selling great either. That people were wondering what their move would be. Chris, my opinion on this, and this is just conjecture because it's not going to happen, is that they would go with Microsoft because they have such bad blood with Sony going back to 1990 and 1991, and to CES, ironically, when they were supposed to reveal the PlayStation add-on for Super Famicom, that I think that they would go with Xbox and try to screw them. And we've talked about it in the, on the, I think, Sacred Symbols Plus in the past. Microsoft tried to get in bed with Nintendo a while ago. I mean, back in the 90s before they made the Xbox. So... I feel like that would be the combination that would make the most sense. And I do believe that if one of the two big non-Nintendo hardware manufacturers got Nintendo and got their IP, I think that that would end the console war ostensibly. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're probably right. I
2: don't think that's ever going to happen, though. And I think what's most likely to happen is if Nintendo ever abandons card, uh, console manufacturing, they'll just do what other companies do and they'll have like a launcher and an app That you can launch on anything, and they might just make kind of peripheral hardware to facilitate a more nostalgic feeling when using that. Like, I feel like they're more likely to build GameCube controllers for PC or GameCube controllers that sync to like an iPad running, you know, Nintendo online and running emulators for all their games than they are to get in bed with any of the major publishers or any or getting in bed with any of the major console manufacturers, especially especially Microsoft, because they're an American company, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the big sticking point, probably. But with that, it just doesn't seem like Sony and Nintendo like each other. So that's true. Yeah. So I don't I don't know. I I think you'd have to chase the money. But I still think and we've talked about this in the past. I still think it's entirely possible. And I think even smart if Nintendo released virtual console or something on the other consoles. I think that that would be, and then, like you said, like they would release an NES controller that synced to PlayStation and an NES controller yeah. that sunk to Xbox. I think that that would be like a huge moneymaker.
2: Yeah, no, that would be huge. And I, I do think there there is precedent because I think, I don't understand how this works still. All of this news broke, I think, early last year or maybe even 2018. I can't remember when, but when they said Game Pass or Xbox Live is coming to Switch, I'm like, what, what does that even mean? Um, oh, that's right. That's yeah, right. That happened, and I still don't know what it means. So
1: yeah, it must be an X Cloud thing, like maybe because I don't think yes, yeah, Switch won't be able to run natively any of that stuff. But I, I do wonder if it the inverse of that could happen because I think it would be a really wonderful way for them to advertise their games to say, yeah, you want to play Zel- like the new Zelda game? Well, you can download some of the older Zelda games here and wet you, you know wet your appetite a little bit and pay us five or ten bucks for each of these games and buy the controller peripheral and we're totally happy that you're to have you on board. And if you want to play the new Zelda game, come over and buy a switch. I I feel like they're the only ones that can get away with that. And I actually think it would be additive to them as opposed to putting PS one classics on like Nintendo or something, which I don't think would have any resonance at all, because that old catalog is just that that and SNES Eric, those catalogs are immaculate and they're really isolated and alienated on this hardware. For better or for worse, I guess they probably look at it as a massive advantage. But I wonder, because Virtual Console doesn't have the same footprint it did on Wii and DS or 3DS, where like there's a shit ton of games available for it. It's like this weird subscription service and they, they don't have much available. So I do wonder if they're holding something out. And I do wonder if the deal about getting Game Pass on Switch is getting Virtual Console on Xbox, which would also be huge and you feel like that there's got to be some sort of quid pro quo there yeah. I, I just don't understand why you wouldn't wouldn't want that it'll so, be we'll it'll be interesting to see what that deal even means but i feel like we're going to be in the dark for a while definitely i think it's all revolving around x and i just don't think that they're they're there yet and there's supposed to be a switch or there's a rumor of a switch redesign coming out this year i don't know if that's true or not so maybe that will have something to do with it too the extra power horsepower that they need to run it Elliot wrote into us and he said, hey, Colin and Chris, what are your top five things? We don't have to necessarily number them like this, but about the PlayStation store that you like and the five things you dislike. So we could just talk about the things we like and dislike. What changes would you make uh, to better the store? Thanks for reading. And welcome to Virginia, Colin. Thank you so much, Elliot. It's good to be here in Richmond. Uh, Chris, what do you like and dislike about the PlayStation store? What are some of the things that stick out to you that work and some of the things that stick out to you that don't?
2: Well, it would be nice if uh, automatic cloud cloud saves actually worked. That would be nice. That would be pretty sick. It says it does, but it's very clear. It very clearly doesn't. Uh, I actually did a bunch of automatic cloud updates before I left uh, for New York, and uh, none of them, none of them, uh, transferred. I had to. I had to do like a few manually, and those are the only ones that went through. And it's like this is kind of, this is pretty tedious, isn't it? It is. Uh, so that would be nice. I feel like I don't know. I feel like I would organize the menus a little bit better. I, I feel like it's very bizarre that you can't. I think it's very bizarre that you can't shut the theme menu music off in the theme section. Like, that just seems very bizarre to me. There's a lot of, like, little things. Like, I feel like things are mislabeled and things don't aren't where they should be in a lot of situations when you're messing around in the PlayStation Store. Obviously, we've talked about just how
1: long it takes to even log in sometimes. I don't know. It's, it's horrible. I mean, I think the PlayStation Store is horrible. And... There are very few things about it that I like. I think that one of the things that they did, they got rid of that weird scroll wheel that they were using for a few years where you were searching and they would like eliminate, you know, you put an A and then they would eliminate all the letters that would not come after A. So you would have like, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. It was like the, that, that little vertical wheel. That thing sucked. I don't know what they were thinking with that. So they finally got rid of that, which was nice. But the PlayStation store is terrible. I, I, I get so annoyed when people are like, it's fine. It's just you. I'm like oh my god no it's not just me it's a lot it's millions of people that hate this thing it doesn't work and how many times does a person have to go to network settings test internet to get your internet to work again then go back into the store if my playstation's on for more than two minutes i can't go into the playstation store without doing that and that's across many networks and four ps4s i have four ps4s so that's the thing that annoys me the most is like when people are trying to tell me like it's just you it's just that's not a problem for everyone no it's a, a problem for a lot of people and i'm sure that they know that And it's a problem really endemic to PlayStation Store because the Xbox ecosystem just works a lot better. So it's hard for me, Elliot, to pull out the things that I like about it because what do I like the most about the PlayStation Store? The games. And I guess that's a really huge cop-out because the functionality sucks, the screenshot functionality sucks, the trailer functionality sucks. Most of these things don't work. It always says like information coming later and all that kind of stuff for games that are ancient. (laughs) It doesn't make any
2: sense. I think if I was was to rank all of the... The major players, as far as their online ecosystems go and the functionality of their ecosystems, I feel like I would go uh, Steam at number one, obviously. Definitely. And then I think, I think Xbox Live would go second and then PlayStation and then Nintendo. Nintendo's is, is definitely the worst one just because like you can't. There's no there's no party chat. You have to like download a party chat app for your. For your I know. Phone. I love that. That's awesome. It's, like it's really awesome. really awkward. Uh, not that party chat is all that relevant now that Discord and Skype and like Teamspeak exist, but you know, functionality-wise, like P- P- PlayStation, the PlayStation store is pretty is uh, is pretty nightmarish. The only problem I've ever had on Xbox hardware is typically with older generations of Xbox One, where it's just a bit clunky and slow. But the functionality works, and everything is where you think it would be. and I don't know. It's just, it's just a weird example of how, you know, as far as UI and software goes, I, I, I feel like Sony doesn't quite have the chops to make a UI that makes a ton of sense. They'll make UIs that work, and you can, you can use them. And it's fine, but very, very rarely are they, you know, exceptional to the point where you don't notice how good they are.
1: It's probably. Yeah, definitely, because it's probably unquantifiable in some way how much money it's cost them. Right. And how many game sales it's cost them to not. I mean, I can tell you right now, I've gone into the store and been so frustrated. Like, fuck this. I'm not buying this game. And I just don't buy it. And and it's not often a first party game, but it's often a third party game. And if I were a third party partner, I'd be like, this is bullshit. Because if this is like an anecdotal thing that's happening to this person, then this is certainly happening to other people. It's not just I run a PlayStation podcast, you know, like <laughs> I, I, I've been I've been professionally covering PlayStation my entire adult career. It, this is not something that I'm like, I know that I play up like the, the hamminess and the dumbness of like the tech and all that. I don't understand these things, but I'm not I'm not stupid. You know, Like I know I know how these things should work and function and. If it's turned me off from buying things and it's certainly turned people off from buying things. And I'm just so frustrated when I go to like a game object and then I go in and it's like, oh, information coming later or whatever. I'm like, this game came out four years ago. What are you talking about information coming later. What The hell is going on on this thing? And it, it really it really annoys me. You know, like every game should have multiple trailers. Every game should have multiple screenshots. The trailer shouldn't look like it's in 480p when you're when you're running it. Sometimes I watch these trailers and I'm like, this is the best trailer you have. This, ga- this trailer looks like shit. <laughs> and then you watch, the, and then you know what I mean. And then you watch the game, you watch the trailer, yeah. and it's like, this is—is is this selling the game? I don't think so. i If I were a more ignorant gamer, and I was just looking around and be like, well, this doesn't, this doesn't even look right. Yeah. But I, so I, I think part of that comes from the fact that they don't want to spend like the the bandwidth to send you like 1080p or 4k, like explicitly send you those kind of trailers because of bandwidth issues, and you can probably get them in some way if you just make the screen bigger or whatever. But like, you shouldn't have to even do that because you should just be able to watch it. It's a trailer. It's it, I'm not, I'm not talking about like, you know, splitting the atom. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, needless to say, Elliot, uh, I, I like almost nothing about the PlayStation store. And that's <laughs> actually, that's actually one of the things that I'm really excited about with PlayStation five. I want to see how it changes because for as much as the UI changed generally on PS4 to PS3, ps 4s UI. When you just use it is great. I love it. I think it's Awesome. But the store didn't really get any better at all. The store got actually worse. So, like,
2: pound for pound. Yeah, I feel like I understood the PS3 store a lot more than I understand. And the PS3 store wasn't that great either. Um, Especially with the, the, what was it they had initially with the, the (laughs) it was like the old text. Like the way that we used to text on flip phones. Oh, like T9 or whatever? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that was like the way you would type on it initially but I feel like I understood it I feel like I could find what I needed to find that is also like a symptom of just having so much more maybe maybe just the fact that because the ps3 online store came on with such few you know you had demos and you didn't really have that many expansion packs you didn't have that many like themes or or microtransactions cluttering the store maybe that does play into the role of how cluttered the store is now because back then all you really had were games but that still doesn't excuse the fact that they haven't
1: figured out a way to clean it up. Chris, I will tell you that when I a few days ago, I was searching for Dragon Quest. I just wanted to see what was on the store and I put Dragon Quest in and it was like bringing up all of this. Sh- it didn't even bring up like Dragon Quest 11 first. It's like, what is going on? It's like Dragon's Dogma, Dragon DLC for this. And I, don't, I was like, oh, my God, I can't stand this. Yeah. And then you just get dissuaded and discouraged and you just move on to something else you have. And I'm perfectly happy not spending money on the PlayStation store. So yeah, that's perfectly fine. That's fine with me. I don't own any stock in Sony. I don't give a shit how much money they make. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Christopher Weaver wrote in and said, hey, CNC, with all the PS5 rumors going around, what do you think of the backwards compatibility rumor that it will allow you to play all five generations of PlayStation games? How feasible is that? Would it be similar to how Xbox does it with select games? How much of a selling point is this for a new console? Thank you for your thoughts. Keep bringing us the great content. Did you see this? This this newest rumor came from Hip Hop Gamer. Did you
2: see? I did see. I did see things about it. I didn't see any substantiation of it. You
1: know? Yeah. I, to me, all right. So this is how where I stand because first of all, the rumor also said that like they're keeping PSP functionality open. I'm like, no, they're not. So. The, I mean that that would be nuts if you could play PSP games on PS Five. That would be fucking crazy. No, awesome. But I, I just don't believe that that's possible. And I also don't really trust this source to be perfectly honest. But my, what what I'm feeling inside me is like, how is to the point? Christopher was asking like, how is this going to work? Like, you're going to be able to put discs in your PS Five and read them, or are you talking about like functionality with the stores? And. If so, like, how is this all going to work? I'm just really I'm hopeful that this is true because this is what we really want. But I'm really skeptical of I mean, with PlayStation, I'm just generally skeptical. Generally, I mean, I think that's a good place to be with anything you really love is to be skeptical and challenge it and and kind of hope for the best and expect the worst. And sometimes we get really good shit like PS4 and sometimes we get consoles that are really that really struggle like PS3 and uh, so I, I don't know that I really believe this. I, I I want to believe. It's like the X-Files poster. Like, I really want to believe, but I, I just don't know. I mean, how, what, how does this strike you if you were to put money down? What do you think? I don't think. If I were to bet, I feel like they're
2: just going to rope backwards compatibility into PlayStation Now because it already exists and people already are accustomed. You know, the people who use PlayStation Now regularly, I don't know how many people that really is. But they're used to playing older games and older software on that service. So it's almost kind of like, not necessarily like they shot themselves in the foot, but it seems like it would be almost confusing to then have, what, backwards compatibility on the store? Maybe you emulate the PS3 store to download PS1 classics and PS2 classics, but then that's even weirder. So what do you do? That You, you put all the old games back up onto the new PlayStation store with new roms are are they building like a crazy disk drive that reads five generations of disks like i I don't this seems very just bizarre and i don't know if it's i i i don't know how they would even market this or talk about it
1: yeah and i don't know how much it matters i mean it matters to people like us and i think it matters to people that play this or i'm sorry listen to this podcast but I don't know. Like, is it really a huge selling point? It reminds me a lot of like other OS and Linux and all that kind of stuff with PS3 where they actually eventually took it out and they they explained why they did. And I'm sure that they were doing it for shrewder reasons. But one of their things was like no one uses this and we can see that no one uses it. So no one should really care. And so I I just first of all, I have a really hard time believing that it's going to accept disks. Yeah, I think this I think the solution that I mean, it's going to accept PS4 and PS5 disks. I think that'll be as far as it goes. But I think with yeah, is it like PS2 classics are already natively available on PS4? So those should be available. So this really leaves PS1 and PS3 games. And then if you want to bring PSP and Vita into it, which I really doubt, I mean, Vita is not even gonna be possible. They were the, the rumor did say PlayStation TV, which is the the TV version of Vita that has its own functionality through DualShock. But I don't know that it just seems like a lot of trouble. And someone had brought up the point, too, that this is also a potentially a licensing nightmare. For them because there might be games on the ps3 store that are just simply licensed out that they can't they'd have to relicense and repay and maybe even recertify a lot of these games to get them to play even if they're being emulated on ps5 and it just seems like a lot like it seems like a lot of trouble so i'm really expecting very little here and so my expectations are low and then if they exceed my expectations i mean it would be awesome if hip-hop gamer was right and it played everything i mean that would be nuts but I don't know and I don't know like like what the marketing advantage is to that. People don't want their new consoles to play old games per se. I think it's going to be a selling point for PS4 games on PS5. But are you going to be like, I'm going to buy an Xbox Series X unless my PS5 can play PS1 games like what? Yeah. I mean, is is there literally anyone out there that thinks that? Because I don't think so. I really don't think so.
2: But I do think as I don't know, it just feels it feels inherently wrong. That I can play Metal Gear Solid 2, Metal Gear Solid 3 on Xbox One natively, but I have to stream it to play it on PS4. That feels just so incorrect to me in every in every way that it's just strange to me that they haven't figured this out already. Like, there's, there's no reason why... They, can you imagine if the Xbox One came out and you couldn't play any Halo games except for the fifth one? But like the original trilogy was on Switch, you'd be like, "What?" You'd be like, "What sense does this make?" This is so strange that this is even a thing.
1: I don't know. My only, yeah, my only hope, Chris, is that they get the PS3 games working. Yeah, like that. I would really love that because I think that that's probably more realistic. And if they can do that, even in an emulation environment, then the PS1 games should work. Right. So then we would get a little taste of everything. And then you'd even be able to get like PlayStation minis and all the weird shit that used to run on PSP at oh, sure, that yeah. weird, you know, all that weird uh, aspect ratio. So I don't know. I mean, it's it's entirely possible that they figure this all out, but I'm really not. Co- I'm not confident. Yeah, I'm not that confident either. But this
2: this generation does seem to be the generation where the consoles become platforms, because I, I think I was reading up on something how like the Xbox Series X isn't the next console. It like the next console is just Xbox and this Skew is the Series X, and I think they're just gonna have like the series, you know, Z or whatever the fuck later on, whenever they increase the power. But I feel like Xbox having a place where like this is the platform where you can play everything that's ever been on this in this ecosystem, I think that's enticing, and I think especially especially coupled with Game Pass, and I think Sony needs to really take advantage of the heritage that they have and the insane library of just classics that they have. Like it would be great if they could just figure out a way that it's not that these PlayStation 1 games are in high demand but just for not even necessarily preservation reasons but just you you want that stuff available in some f- in some way
1: i agree and my my, my real dream here would be for them to go all out and be able to trophy enable these games and like let developers and publishers go back in and very easily recertify and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that would be the dream. Yeah. And so that's like the utmost. And then I I think like the, the lowest expectation is that the PS five runs PS five games and some PS four games, which is still something I'm really afraid is going to happen. So we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. But I, I yeah, I just like to keep my expectations low so that I'm pleasantly surprised if I'm wrong. I'd love to be wrong. Yeah. By the way, I would absolutely love. I mean, there's nothing more I would like then to be wrong about this particular issue. So we'll see how it all goes. Brian Chai wrote in to us. He said, hello, CM and CM. IGN announced that they're changing their review scale to remove decimals. Seems like a mighty step sideways and rather pointless. Colin, could you shed any insight why IGN is so beholden to an outdated and archaic method of reviewing? And Chris, what types of reviews work best for you? Thanks for the content. My work week would be unbearable without it. You're very welcome. Thank you, Brian, for your Uh, question so i was thinking about this when this happened because ign announced this a few days ago that they're going to the you know to a i guess a 20 point scale or is it even a 10 point scale something like that but the weird thing i was thinking about with this because i worked there for so long is that when i worked there they had the 100 point scale then they went to the 10 point scale then they went to the 20 point scale then they went back to the 100 point scale that all happened when i was there and i just i used to get so mad when i was there because i was like what Why do we keep changing this over and over again? First of all, I think the 100 point scale is fucking stupid. Doesn't make any sense. And so I'm curious like what you make of this and what what kind of reviews work best for you. Yeah, I've never been a fan of like numbered
2: reviews scores. I just don't really like them. I think they're far too generalized. And I think uh, in my opinion, what works best for me is just finding some kind of outlet or some kind of content creator or some kind of reviewer that I align with most. And just hearing their perspectives, not necessarily on like a, this is a, this is a five cloud stripes out of six, you know, I I don't need any of that. I need, uh, I think the review scores that work best for me are buy rent or pass. Cause that gives you some idea of like, just like a generalized view of like what something is, but also you have to take into account the, the tastes of the person involved. I don't find generalized review scores on websites that are you know contributed to by hundreds of different people with hundreds of different tastes all that valuable I prefer to find you know somebody who you know more or less reflects my own tastes that way I can see them say buy rent or pass and I'd be like okay I I could probably trust that uh, relatively well but even then it's like you still got to do your own research you still got to
1: do your own recon on what you're gonna spend your money on yeah I think that because I agree with you. I've reviewed hundreds of games with the number, with putting numbers on them over time. And people would, I think, validly bring up like, well, what is the difference? Like you said, this game's better than this game. Do you really think that? And I'd be like, I don't, I don't even know that you can compare these two games. And it, it put everyone into a box in such a way that, cause I know that the idea, and it was explained to me when I was there was, well, like you have a bunch of 67s and then you have a bunch of 68s and then you have a bunch of 69s and 70s and they're supposed to be in this order. But It just seems it just seemed totally weird to compare them and granularly do that. And people will notice that even in the 100 point scale system, when that happened at IGN, I didn't use it. And I would only use the 20 point scale because that was the most I I was like, I don't know what the difference between an 8.5 and an 8.6 is. I have no idea. I couldn't tell you what the difference between those two things are. I just think it just I get frustrated sometimes from the outside looking in because IGN does things where I'm like, that was something I said years ago, like when they come up with like an idea or they like start doing things. I'm like, I said that in 2011. Right. Or I like, I remember when I was an intern, I was like, oh, we should have like a TV channel, like a IG, like IGN TV reviews. Like we were, and there was like, no, no one wants to do that. And then two years later there was an IGN TV. Right. (laughs) And I'm not saying it was like just my idea, but I'm like, well, why am, why am I so prescient about all this kind of stuff? I'm sure a lot of people are, but from the outside looking in, it, it is annoying because I know how it works and it's more chaotic than you'd think. And I, I think that that plays out pretty well when you take a look at it from the outside. So I understand people's confusion and consternation with this because I think it is confusing. And I think that the best idea, like Chris said, is to just bake it down into the words. If people want a score, then they can go somewhere else and look for a score. But the score is really meaningless. And it like they really got a lot of shit for their Death Stranding review, which was really off from the Metacritic score and everyone experiences that once or twice. I remember when I gave a 10 to to the last of us, I was really scared. I'm like, am I going to be the only fucking guy that gave this game a 10, you know? Yeah. And you just don't know like if it's going to happen. And so I felt bad for them because I read the review and I'm like, the review doesn't first of all, read like the score from my opinion. And second of all, it makes them seem like they're just putting this really capricious score on a, on a game when really the, the information's in the text. And if you, if you inform people, like, why even write the review? Why not just put a number on it and just leave it there? Because you're, you're basically aiming at the lowest common denominator anyway. And that's why I like doing our review discussion, review, you know, our, our 90-minute review discussions we do on, on Sacred Symbols Plus, because it allows us to really explore the ins and outs of the game and solicit questions and comments and allow us to kind of go down these different avenues without saying like, well, I give it a four out of five stars.
2: And then people listening can like work through their own kind of like if they hear something that you or I say, they can like channel that into how they might feel about something and cross-reference it. It feels like a lot more valuable as far as consumer information. Like I just, I I remember like I tweeted something about the review score uh system on IGN and like I, I got some people I think Ryan McCaffrey was there too he was like he was saying like uh oh well you know 10 out of 10 is a really marketable thing at IGN it's like everybody recognizes it and I'm like I guess but I I, I don't know I can't argue with that I guess that's true but does that serve the
1: review I don't think it does no it doesn't because I only gave out one ten in my entire time there which was to the last of us and I, I kind of felt firsthand what that was like to, for the audience to be confused. Cause they're like, Oh, it's perfect. Well, Ellie's running across the screen and no one sees her and stuff. And I'm like, I didn't say it was perfect. You know, like I, I it, it's called a masterpiece. That's what the 10 is. But I see that if you think that it's a 10 out of 10, then I understand how that might read as perfect. And even though the rubric says something different, see, that's the point. It's like, there is no ambiguity when you read the text and People had brought up to me in the past like, oh, you said you like this game more than this game, but you gave this game a better review than that game, like a better score. And I'm like, I don't know, man, you know, like (laughs) I can't can't keep up with all this shit. I I don't know. I I wasn't keeping like that was the one thing I can say for with certainty is that when I was there, I wasn't like keeping I I wasn't keeping like a running list of the scores I gave everything in order to try to fit them in. I just gave the score that I felt was right. And then later on, you kind of expose how silly the system is when you're when someone brings up a totally valid point like that. Oh well, you said how much you liked this game more than this game, but you gave this game a half a, a half a point higher, and I'm like, well, I don't know what to say about that. Yeah, because it doesn't reflect my feelings. I guess it's just kind of how I felt at the time. I don't, I don't know. So yeah, it's a weird. I understand it's why a weird people. Yeah. It's weird. It's just weird, especially because it's changed so much, and it changed so much when I was there, and it's ping ponging back and forth, and I don't get it. I, I just I don't I don't think it's doing. Games criticism any favors, but that is my opinion. That's been my opinion for a really long time. They didn't listen to me when I was there. They're certainly not going to listen to me now. Jonas Johnson wrote into us. He said, Hey, CNC, I know you are both a big fan of Ken Levine and his previous masterpiece, Bioshock. We certainly are. I've been really eager to see what he's currently working on. What do you guys think he's up to? Greetings from the freezing hellhole of Norway. Well, you're right, uh, Jonas. Thanks for writing in. Chris and I are both huge Ken Levine fans and we're both huge Bioshock fans. I think we would both put that in our top five games of all time no, for sure want to yeah. speak for Chris. Yeah. And uh, I also like the sequel, which he didn't have anything to do with, really. And Infinite, which he did now. Literally, Ken Levine is at a, a small Boston based studio, which was uh, irrational, but it's much smaller now called Ghost Story. And they are working on some sort of mysterious product under the 2K Take Two moniker, a Take Two publishing banner. And it's apparently a first person sci fi game. But we so just like Bioshock, but we really don't know much more about it. Apparently, it's supposed to be pretty sophisticated in terms of what it actually is. And apparently it's taking so long. Remember, Bioshock Infinite came out almost seven years ago, which is incredible. And I think it's taking so long because I think they are taking the story and customization options in the story and like the different branching narratives really seriously so that the game feels alive. And I don't want to say too much more because I I do have a a bit of a personal connection to Ken Levine and we have talked pretty extensively and I don't want to betray any of that stuff, although he didn't tell me anything like too specific. But um, what do you think about like, what are you expecting? What do you want out of him?
2: I don't know what I'm expecting. I do know that I'm down. I want to know what it is. And I'm eager to find out because I think I feel like Ken Levine is one of those people who like could pull off something like. Not not like a Death Stranding, but I feel like he could, he could be one of those people who, like, does something that on paper sounds really just not engaging. But for whatever reason, when you're playing it, it is. Like, he strikes me as one of those kind of auteurs. And I feel like I'm just eager to play something else like that. Or something else that comes from a place of genuine, you know... Chops as far as game design goes. Like I'm really, I'm really pumped. For whatever the hell it is, I'm I'm
1: excited. Oh, me too, man. I can't wait because I think pound for pound, Ken Levine is the greatest writer and game director in the in the entire industry. And I think that there are others that rival him. I think Neil Druckmann's one of those guys that rivals him as far as a writer and a creative director and others, but he is so on it with the way he makes his games and These games are made under a lot of duress. I mean, if you read about Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite's development cycles, they're not pretty. Oh, yeah. And some people don't like him. That worked for him. And some people are very open about that. It's apparently a very challenging and very spread out and stretched out and and grindy situation to make the games. But look at the results. And so his team apparently is pretty small and. I think that might have something to do with why the game is taking so long. But I think the other reason the game is taking so long, whatever it is, is probably because it's next gen. And I would imagine that they probably started making it on current gen and moved it over. I I wouldn't be surprised at all if it was a PS5 and Xbox Series X game only. Oh, yeah. And I don't think it started out that way because the game's development started in like 2015. I just think it's taken so long and he kind of wanted to get away from 2K and then they kind of came back in. And so I think that that relationship is kind of, happening as well because remember Irrational had a lot of layoffs and he was only able to keep like a few of his guys and gals there are quite a few women on that team and so uh, I think it's I think it's really exciting and I agree with Chris like whatever it is I mean I I am positive that whatever it is it's going to be awesome like I would be shocked if it's not going to be awesome and (laughs) I think it's really actually kind of a good sign, too, Chris, that under the 2K banner, as we already know, we t- discussed this a few weeks ago, that they're making a Bioshock game in Northern California, Bioshock 4, technically, and that he has nothing to do with that. We already knew that. But the fact that they're comfortable announcing that and announcing whatever they're called Cloud Imperium, well, not Cloud Imperium, that's the Cloud guys that did a uh, Cloud Chamber. And the fact that they were willing to announce that while his game is still unannounced says to me that they're not going to be that similar which I think is kind of nice, too, and that they're willing to actually put both of those games out on their label, which makes me twice as excited because we're going to basically get twice as much Bioshock. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, so not at all. Very, very exciting. Uh, Dustin Mason wrote into us and said, hey, CNC, I'm excited to hear from Chris about this one. He says, first time writing in longtime listener since beyond. Well, welcome. There are a lot of online games shutting down recently. How would you guys feel about developers adding offline play with bots? Call of Duty is one game that does this. I think it's a good way to extend the game's life and allow nostalgic players to get in another game of an old favorite. I'd love to be able to play Mag again. Massive action game, of course. But I will never be able to. Chris, now, you are an online player, and when we played Titanfall 2 on our Let's Play, we actually played with a mixture of bots and real players. How do you feel about the inclusion of bots in these games? Because I feel like that is a really nice idea, and I don't know how complicated it is to kind of put that in. Yeah, I feel like this is a uh, a
2: really multifaceted kind of question because Titanfall 2 operates in an interesting way where the player is the most powerful, you know, individual, the most powerful character in any given multiplayer match. And all of the bots exist to kind of be cannon fodder there are like grunts i think they're called in in multiplayer matches in titanfall 2 that are just really slow marines that can't wall run and can't grapple and can't do anything and you can just pick them apart really easily and then there are like some stronger ai units that hack into things but they still can't move around with the same finesse that a player can because a a player with that much control over the environment in a game like titanfall 2 i mean you saw when we were playing just the amount of things that you can do like, there is pretty much no area of three-dimensional space in Titanfall 2 that is unattainable for the player character. Like, that player can be at any point on any axis in that map. Whereas a game like Call of Duty, everybody's kind of stapled to the ground. And even in some of the newer games where, like, you can wall run, when you wall run, you're on a very strict animated path on each wall. So in a game like Call of Duty, it's, it's really easy to have bots because not only are the kill times really quick... So you can feel engaged when you're playing against bots just as you're uh, feeling engaged when you're playing against players because they can kill you just as fast as you can kill them. It's such a quick turnaround on death. You respawn instantaneously. All of that kind of goes into Call of Duty is a game where that's possible. Uh, Titanfall is a game where it's possible because the bots are so below you. But in most games... I feel like bots just would provide a very unsatisfactory multiplayer experience. I don't see you know, an arena shooter like Doom or Halo being fun with bots because the amount of things that the bot needs to be able to do to compete with a player character in a game like that where so where the players have so much control over their environment is just so difficult to program that I just don't I don't think it would be. Really plausible. I would like for that to be the case, but I feel like it would take a lot of design chops to really get that going. Because even campaigns in those games, you know, the demons in Doom, they're not like jumping around and like swinging in between walls and like jumping at five at Mach ten. You know, they're they're walking straight towards you, and sometimes they flank you, and sometimes sometimes they don't. But their their AI isn't that complex. So I feel like it's a it's a multifaceted uh, situation. That was that was a lot of. No, it's a a great
1: answer. No, it's not rambling at all. I mean, it's a great answer. And I'm with you. I mean, you're much more learned on this stuff than I am. But I feel like it kind of defeats the purpose of the game. I understand that it limits not having these options limits the game's life, life cycle. And that sucks because it sucks for a lot of reasons. It sucks for trophy hunters. It sucks for people that just want to be nostalgic. It sucks for a lot of people. And... I guess you kind of have to look at the time necessary to fix that problem and ameliorate that problem as opposed to what you're going to get out of it. So like, yeah, it would be cool to turn on mag and be able to play it. But who's really going to play mag? Yeah. I and mean, people weren't even playing mag when it came out. So, yeah, I understand uh, what, exactly what you're saying. And I think you're right. And I think that's why that there just needs to be two different ecosystems for these games so that you either support one or you support the other. And if you can support both sure. in terms of single player or multiplayer, then you get that. But otherwise, yeah, like it's, it's a shame that a game like Radical Heights or something died so quickly because no one wanted to play it. But that is kind of the market speaking and you have to pay attention to the market. If you're part of the market that doesn't agree, you're still part of the losing market and you're not going to have any voice in that situation because they're going to move on to what's next and what's profitable. Yeah, that makes sure. perfect sense to me. It's also just like a lot of design work, you know, definitely. There's a definitely lot of
2: it. there's a lot of, you know, in Destiny, you play like such a powerful character and there's a reason why you don't fight other guardians in Destiny that are, pl- that are AI controlled, and it's just because the AI path of that character would have to be so insanely complex to be on par with even fighting a real player who's even just slightly okay at the game. Like, it's just, it's, it's, that's well into the
1: future, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And yeah, I mean, when you think about just how much design needs to go into the location of monster closets and... Like yeah. you said, AI AI tracking and paths and all of that in just a single player campaign, just making it more complicated is a problem. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree with you. That's a design flaw. I mean, Dagan and I were talking about this on the Dead Space knockback. Not that there, it's related to this, but just design is the most underrated component of video game development. Oh, for sure. And yeah. For you to have to then bake this into the cake, too, is is a lot of work.
2: Yeah. And, not and, and yeah. And fuck, man, I, I don't make games or anything. I might be totally this might just be my opinion, but it feels like an educated opinion. <laughs> it feels it feels vaguely accurate.
1: But uh, yeah, I think you're right. But anyone, anyway, I mean, we have a lot of devs that listen to the show. So write in. Yeah. Nathan Cermak wrote in and said, why is it not standard yet to allow us to remap the buttons to exactly how we want to in every game? Is this just a QA nightmare or what? This is becoming especially important with backwards compatibility. A ton of these old games have crap control schemes. Clicking the right stick to zoom or lock down the gun sights or look down the gun sights. I mean, come on. Happy New Year's to you both. So, yeah, I have a huge problem with this, too. But I think, Chris, he nailed it. That it's not only a QA nightmare, but I actually think... Because I hate clicking to aim down sights. It sucks. Like, Resistance Fall, man, has that. Halo used to do that. And uh, I, I feel like... It, I, I And I could be wrong, but... I think it's not only QAing that's the problem, but it's like they want you to play the game the way it's intended with very few options. And the game that comes to mind for me is when I first started playing Dying, I think it was Dying Light when I, when I tried to remap the buttons, and then the game didn't make sense anymore. And then I realized, oh, the way that they wanted me to play the game is the way the game really should be played. I just didn't want to wrap my head around it because it immediately didn't feel right. I think you were jumping with like R1 or something. It was like weird. Yeah. And I think that that probably going back to the design question, I think, or the design discussion, I think that that probably is a major part of it is like, well, we don't want you to like customize yourself out of playing the game the way we want you to play it because then you might hate it and it's not meant to be played like this. And so I think it's probably a little bit of both. But I don't know for sure.
2: I think it's definitely part of a QA nightmare. I think the, the, the benefit that a lot of uh, PC games have when you're remapping button controls uh, or, or remapping keys on PC is that you still have a mouse that works regardless of function. So you can like kind of bypass any mistakes that you make. But like let's say you uh, let's say you have uh, let's say a is confirm and B is cancel and you remap all your buttons as cancel. And then you try to undo that, and there's just no way to do it because you've gotten rid of the confirm option, and it's a console, so you can't just you can't just open up the the files and fix it. And there's no mouse that you can kind of use to bypass it. I feel like that's also a certain thing where you just don't want kids fucking around in the menu and just breaking a game.
1: Yeah, and that's where the Q, that's where the QAing comes in. You know, that's a problem. Yeah, but that's a, yeah, it's definitely a QA
2: nightmare. I think uh, where on PC it's just less of a problem. Because there's just an inherent baked in way to circumvent it, but I don't know, man. I like clicking in the stick. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it makes a ton of sense. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because I think I feel like I feel like the left analog stick is the is the movement. The right analog stick is the camera. It makes sense that clicking the left analog stick in would change the way movement works and it makes sense that clicking in the right stick would change the way the camera works yeah no that you're right i just it does feel old and it does feel feel like yeah yeah like i think if it was in a newer game i would i would be a little bit like off-put but i think it feels completely right in those old games like i feel like they were designed with that intention so it just feels correct
1: in fall of man it felt right until you played resistance 2 and then went back yeah To fall of man, because my whole argument with it, and again, I'm not as much of a kinetic shooter fan as you are. You're much better at these games, but it's like another action because you click the stick to aim, but then you have to click the stick to unaim, as opposed to just letting go of a button. And then you're not aiming down sight anymore. That's fair. You know, so that's like my, like, I could never play a game like that ever again. Like, (laughs) there was, there was like this random, what the fuck was it? The audience might be able to tell me what it was. Oh, you know what it was? It was just Cause. Like just cause three or something had some weird ass. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Aiming, that was awkward. where I'm like that. That didn't. Where I'm feel like I can't play. Th- I can't play this. No, I mean that. I literally was like I played it for ten minutes. I'm like nah, I can't. Yeah. I, can't I, I usually like
2: that, and it, in that game it felt off. I think it all comes down to like how well you design it, but for sure, yeah.
1: Yeah, I remember. And I was so disappointed because I was so excited about that game because I just wanted to play like some open world nonsense, and I was like I can't I can't play this. I just can't play this. And. That's maybe that's a Colin problem, but you're right about the button mapping, though. I've definitely gotten into button maps, especially in like older or I guess 2D games where I've just totally broken the button map. And I'm like, I don't even know how to fix this. You got to like reset it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, or delete, delete the file and. Go back in or whatever the case might be. So I hear that as well, although I'm not very smart. So that's probably also something to do with it. Jack Siebert wrote into us. Chris, there's three more questions. He says, Hey, CNC, during the PS4 generation, Sony had a not insignificant amount of substantive third party exclusives. These include Street Fighter V, Neo Persona 5, Nino Cooney, Kuni, Dragon Quest 11, which also later came to the Switch, but never to the an Xbox and the Yakuza series. I think I might have said PS3. I meant PS4 generation as well as a menagerie. Nice word of indie titles. Do you guys think that strong, exclusive third-party titles will continue to be a pillar of the PlayStation platform going into next-gen? If so, which series would you not be surprised to see on a Sony stage revealing their next console-exclusive title for the PS5? Uh, Chris, what is the common theme between all those games? Uh, Japanese? Yes, exactly. And I think that it's not that they want to do this. It's that they're making Japanese games first for Japanese audiences first, with the exception of perhaps Street Fighter V. And then they port it if they want to. And there's just been no reason for them to port it. Like if they ported Dragon Quest XI to Xbox, would anyone care? I don't know. I, I don't think so. Or Persona 5, like, is it worth the money? So I don't think it's people going or developers going out of their way to make PS4 exclusives as much as it's them taking the path of least resistance part. Of the yeah, part. for sure. So, yeah, I, you know, Street Fighter 6, I assume, will be a PlayStation exclusive or console exclusive. Neo 2 is a console exclusive. The new Persona 5 is a console exclusive. Nino Kuni uh two was on ps4 only Dragon quest 11's on switch as well like he said but it's not on xbox yakuza just came to xbox for the first time i think or switch Uh, street
2: fighter is such a weird exclusive to me like that that one makes the least sense to me because it's so american even it is a japanese game obviously but it's so ostensibly popular that it's just it's it is kind of weird and so many street fighter games are on xbox it's like it's just very strange
1: it is weird. Yeah, I think that Sony's money probably had more to do with Street Fighter five than any of those other games. Yeah, but for sure. I don't I don't. And, and remember, too, Street Fighter five was developed in an environment Street Fighter four, even more so. But Street Fighter five was developed in an environment where Capcom wasn't doing that well. And I think that that's relevant, too. I think if Street Fighter five was developed and released two years later, it would have come to everything. I think that they probably were like, well, we, we would like the guaranteed money now. <laughs> yeah, especially because, <laughs> especially because Street Fighter four was a little bit of a slow burn. Yeah, it became popular, but it took a little while. And so I I don't and Street Fighter three obviously was a big miss. So it's not like they don't have any examples of this of the franchise failing
0: for some respect.
2: But yeah, you can you can be pretty. It's a pretty safe bet to assume
1: you're going to get third party exclusives going. forward. Definitely out of Japanese studios. No doubt about it. I was actually really surprised that Yakuza finally migrated because I thought it would just never happen. I mean, that franchise has been going on for so fucking long. That you thought it would have been it would have happened by now, but it, it didn't. And like he said, even when Dragon Quest 11 or something like that moves, it moves over to the other Japanese console, not to Xbox. Yeah. Two more. Judah Bailey wrote into us and said, hello, Carnivorous Colin and Cruciferous Chris. After 110 plus hours and many CLS podcasts to keep me company, I have finally earned that sweet platinum trophy in Death Stranding. That is a long platinum trophy to get. After this, I obviously went to the PSN profiles to look at my stats. So love that site for fun and noticed that my platinum earning fell off a cliff ever since Sony removed the trophy incentives from their Sony rewards program. I used to work towards platinum trophies constantly, knowing that each one brought me closer to earning store credit on PSN. And looking back, it was some of the most enjoyable times I've ever had with earning trophies. My question to you, too, is this. Would Sony ever create a little more incentive for trophy hunters? I know it isn't necessary, but I believe incentives like Sony Rewards can help create a more lively ecosystem for PlayStation. Would love to hear your thoughts. And remember, do not underestimate the power of PlayStation. Well, I think we're underestimating them a lot, actually. But <laughs> we'll, be, we'll, we'll hopefully we'll be surprised. Uh, We've talked about this in the past, Chris. As far as the PlayStation or the Sony Rewards Program, which was tethered to to Platinum trophies for a while, which was great. I guess we can just talk more about this more generally, though. Do you think that there needs to be an incentive above and beyond the metagame to make this meaningful, or do you think that the metagame itself is just fine? I feel like the metagame itself is just fine,
2: but like, I mean, obviously, this is something that matters to at least someone, which means it matters to people, right? So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there will ever be enough people participating in this kind of a thing to make it something that Sony would prioritize because they haven't even really – I mean, people haven't even – they haven't even figured out backwards compatibility yet. And it took them forever to figure out, you know, how to do name changes and even that's not – doesn't work right. So, like, the idea that they would go back to maybe doing a, a rewards program for the handful of people that actually took advantage of it is 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 pretty – you know, not <laughs> don't 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 expect much from that. But I do think, you know, I, I think little rewards like this is nice. It 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 gives back to your community. I don't think it's particularly that expensive, you know, because you're having people constantly on your platform. It's like free ad
1: advertising, basically. I look at this, Chris, as because I think you're right. Like, I don't know that it's really worth the trouble, but I also look at it. I mean, this is a really re- weird reference, but I kind of look at it as like a central bank that has to, like, moderate the value of the dollar or whatever, and if the dollar, if every dollar isn't the same value, like your dollar in your pocket's the same value as my dollar in my pocket. And if you have this trophy system like we do now, that is just totally fucked, right? <laughs> like where like one platinum trophy, like you just said, 110 hours in Death Stranding for a platinum. I can go and get the I am Mayo platinum or whatever it's called. My name is Mayo in five minutes. And they're both the same platinum with the same ostensible value on the system. If, and because they let it go for so long and didn't moderate like a central bank would moderate the value of a trophy, for instance, just using that as a reference, then I think something like this is becoming increasingly impossible. And yeah. that's, a really, that's a shame, because if they just paid attention to this more and cared more about this, they could have had something really dynamic and interesting going on for many years. And instead, they have this system that's totally botched where. It's just more about the specific trophies you earn as opposed to like having like no one back in the day, everyone used to care about like trophy hunters anyway, used to care about like how many platinum trophies you have, but no one cares about that anymore because you could literally, I could, uh, our friends, uh, P- ps4 trophies.com or org. I think it is. I don't remember what it is, but you know, popular trophy hunting YouTube channel and Patreon and stuff. They just did a thing where they earned 50 platinums in one day and I have like 80 or 93 platinums or something like that in 11 or 12 years and so it's it's the dollar for dollar thing that i think is really most relevant what they could do is like really moderate their first party games so that all the first party games have an equally challenging platinum trophy that might earn you something which i think would be pretty neat but i don't think they're going to do that and i think i think the system is just too far off now where it's really they've really ruined it and i think that it, it it only matters to fewer people than it should because they let it happen Yeah, if they cared from the beginning, then this could have been something really robust and really interesting. But they didn't missed opportunities. Definitely. And it's unfixable, by the way. Yeah. So like the only way you could fix it is to like start fresh with the PS5 and say like PS5 trophies now count towards this certain thing. But then you would need to, you know, invest money and time and energy into that. And like Chris said, they can barely figure out things that actually matter. So uh, yeah, not confident, but I would love I would have loved to see that. And I'm sad to see that go because I know that matters to a lot of people. Uh, Final question, Chris, comes from Scott Hunt. He says, Wagwan, CC. That's a what is that? That's uh, Jamaican, right? I have.
2: (laughs) You're asking the wrong person. I guess I am.
1: With the new Netflix series of The Witcher out, the game series has seen a huge rise in its player count, which we mentioned earlier. Do you think this will lead to a remastered collection of the first two games? And do you see yourself going back to the game in the future? This is a great question, Chris, because I really am confused why they haven't re-released Witcher 1 and 2 I know that they're not like Wild Hunt level in terms of their quality but you think that they like those two games aren't even on PlayStation at all and you would think that you would go back and want to re-release those do you think we'll see them again I don't know I don't think so I, I, I don't think CD Project is
2: one of those studios that would just hand off their games to be remastered they don't strike me as that kind of studio maybe they are but I, I really don't think you're going to see a remaster of the first two games I've definitely gone back to The Witcher 3 since you know since that show came out and I've actually been really enjoying it. But I the, the first two games are just like 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 you said they're not they're not quite as good as The Wild Hunt. They're definitely a lot jankier and they have less fixes to go along with them because like a big, a big contention with the witcher three was in my opinion was just how nauseating it was to use witcher senses because they had this weird fisheye lens distortion going on. That would just give me a, a, a seething headache every time I would play the damn game. And then also Geralt's movement just fell off. But now there's like an, an option in the menu to make that like better and more streamlined. There's an option in the menu to turn the fish eye off. There's a bunch of options that the witcher three has that makes it a lot more of a premium package than the witcher one and witcher two, which are, you know, RPGs of their time that are good, but maybe not necessarily games that people are clamoring to remake.
1: Yeah, you're. I think you're absolutely right, especially about them farming it out. I just don't think they would do it. Because, like, I'm trying to think, like, even with Gwent, they made that internally. So, like, you would think that that would be a game you'd farm out for sure. Yeah. And so I think that if they don't do that, yeah, I don't know that they're... I also think this is one of those things. We bring this up with Mass Effect, Andromeda, we brought this up. Uh, with some other games where I think if you go back, although this is kind of the inverse in a way, but if you go back and you release those other two games, it, it actually exposes them for how not great they are. Because anyone who's telling you that Witcher was like something anyone cared about until The Witcher 3 in terms of the games, until uh, in, in terms of the game series is lying to you because no one cared. I mean, those games didn't sell very well. I remember when Witcher 3 was announced and it was coming out. And I, m- I remember the only time I ever realized it was going to be good was when I went- when I when I went to an event and played it. And I was like, wow, this is actually pretty good. And so I think that they they risk exposing their older games as not being as good as people might remember. And of course, you could just go on PC and buy them. And that's going to satiate a lot of WRPG fans anyway that don't play on console.
2: Yeah, for sure. And it's also going to be the best version of that game that you could possibly get. Like, there's no way you're going to get a PlayStation 4 port of The Witcher 1 and 2 that's better than the PC version. It's just, it's just not likely. <laughs> Especially because they probably put a lot of, you know, they probably put a lot of effort into the PC version since they came out anyway, because people have been updating PC games for a long time on Steam.
1: Yeah, and you can patch them, e- yeah, much easier there and you don't have to pay for all that shit like you do on PlayStation. So, all right, Chris, that is all of our questions and that is the entire episode, episode 80 of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. Do you have any closing thoughts for our audience?
2: Uh, No, I guess uh, d- never doubt my ability to will things into existence, I guess, at this point. It's really unbelievable. Because it's uncanny. It's, it's it's very, it's very strange. If we get a, if we get anything regarding like a Legacy of kane game this year, that's going to be hilarious. Because at that point, I think that I could just what is what is the limit at that point?
1: I would say there's almost no limit now. Yeah, that would definitely prove your arcane powers beyond any shadow of a doubt. Like the the immense astrology, and you must do tarot cards or something weird in your spare time. I don't know what you're doing, but do you do tarot cards I think you read them I don't think you do them yeah you read I don't them know. but yeah so uh, I agree with you I, I actually wouldn't be that surprised that legacy of K- I feel like legacy of Kane might come back I don't know but we'll see what happens a little crystal dynamics action yeah. who knows now at this point <laughs> I like how you're just like yeah but, but, I don't know might, maybe at this point <laughs> yeah I mean I, I, I mean ape, Esca- ape escape ape escape <laughs> okay cool it's a good video game damn it it is. I mean, I, I liked the I think I only played the first one and the last one. So I only played the first one in ninety nine and then the PS move one. The first one is the best one. In my opinion, I liked it. I mean, it was it was a cute game. I remember it yeah. very well. I rented it. It's
2: adorable. I didn't own it. This little 10 year old anime kid sounds like a fucking 35 year old man.
1: That's is that Spike or is that a yeah, different guy? He goes like,
2: hi, yeah, he sounds like a
1: 30 <laughs> year old sounds like an old Japanese man. Yeah, it's really (laughs) off-putting. Because he is? Yeah. All right. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you. Of course. Uh, Appreciate all of you guys out there for your love, your kindness, your support. Happy New Year. Be safe. Enjoy your 2020. Uh, Remember to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Stand. More information on merch and our other shows at CollinsLastStand.com. We'll see you next time for more Sacred Symbols. Be good. Bye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Richmond, Virginia and Burbank, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at No Taxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris Argun and on Instagram at Chris underscore underscore Gun. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash collinslaststand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Chris Adams, Carlos Algaret, Morgan Ashley, Saul Balcazar, Taylor Barkley, Martin Beck, Tyler Bello, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Eric R. Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Nick C, Alex Cabrera, Patrick Harper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Rodney Coleman, Simon Conception, Brad Cooley, John Cordero, Gio Corsi, Philip Crone, Daniel Amore, Colin Davenport, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Jerome Ferreira, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Ruidon Fitzpatrick, Chris Galvin, Darren Gardner, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem Al Ghanem, Tyler Goodwin, Hayden Gorange, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Jonathan H., Eric Harden, Tyler Harris, Richard Hebert III, Kyle Hagel, Shane Hendrickson, Wyatt Henry, Robbie Hensley, Scott Hernandez, Asa Haas, Johnny Humphreys, Blake Israel, Azan Isa El ricey Josh Yeager, Joshua Jonathan, Paul Joyce, Greg Julefs, Anton K., Patrick Kelly, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Mason Cadillac, Jackson Elastiqua, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Scott Lovelace, Josh M. Kiet Mai, Ryan T. Mandel, Ross Maronka, Matt Martin, Sean Mason, Jordan Mouse, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartlin, Raul Melendez, Andrew Mendoza, Chris Moore. Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Steven Nieder, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, Dan Nolan, George Anthony Nunez, Jesse Owen, Jorge Palomino, Andrew Parker, Zach Parsley, Daniel Parsons, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Matthew Purdue, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Travis Plymel, Jeff Pollard, Lawrence F. Prokop, Nathan R., Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Daniel Rivas, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Jose Salinas, John Schultz, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Joshua Smallwood, Matthew Tomer, Ahmad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Trembley, Michael Vecchio, Justin Wagaman, Oakley Waldron, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayne, David Wright, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Bloody Fang, Organic Produce, Homeworld Hub, Throw7, McDog 18, Infinite, Boots, Madmock Media, Not Your Real Dad, Mubarak, Craftheads Podcast, Richter86, Hugo's Desk, A Fortuna, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Dav9834, Gamer Filmaholic, Megadet, and Rainick.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs, projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain, it's hard to find